What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Kara. Will, I expected to come on here and uh, talk about the reported return of me slash Liam Cohen to Kentucky, but that honestly feels pretty insignificant after the developments of Mike Leach over the weekend. Um, so for those who maybe you haven't necessarily been on the internet, you haven't, you know, you've been away for a couple of days and you didn't see the Mississippi state coach in critical condition. As of this recording, we were mm-hmm. recording this at four o'clock on Monday. So any update on him, all we have right now is the statement that Mississippi state released, but it just seems like one of those things that just all of a sudden you hear this on Sunday and you're thinking to yourself like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, coaches have health issues. All right. Like that's not necessarily uncommon. And then the severity of it kind of creeps in and you realize they've named Zach Arnett, the interim coach. And you're seeing Mississippi state insiders talk about just how significant this looks. And obviously that's been on the minds of, of so many people throughout this day. And it's just been kind of waiting on bated breath to, to find out any sort of update on the, the condition of the Mississippi state coach. But yes, we're, we're approaching this with heavy hearts and realizing this is a very, very fluid situation right now. Yeah, I think Leach is a guy that, you know, we've been uh, pretty solid about giving him his flowers. And I think that he is the charm of Leach is that he is a rare guy that we always talk about how crucial adapting is. And he hasn't really adapted a ton. And I think that the coolest thing about Leach is that he's been himself at every stage of his career. You know, we always hear about these guys. Oh, they had this moment where they figured they had to change. And remember, he's just like, you know, this is me. I'm this hilarious dude. I'm going to take my, you know, my jokes and my stuff and bring them everywhere. And I think that honestly, this is like growing up, I always say the 2017 or the 07 season made me fall in love with LSU and the 08 season made me fall in love with college football as a whole. And he was obviously a huge part of that 2008 season with a Michael Crabtree catch and everything. And I just remember like reading about this guy and just being like, this guy isn't a typical coach. Like he's not like this like meathead guy. He, he's really smart. He's really quick. He thinks about things totally different from everybody else. And when you get him in front of a microphone, you know, we all have our favorite little leechism, the one about getting married, the one about, you know, the mascots in the Pac-12, you know, it goes and goes, but it was, it, it, it's not to, you know, make it bigger than it is. But when I started learning about him, I realized like, you know, maybe there's a place in college football for, you know, a dude like me that isn't some football headed guy that doesn't say all these axisms. That's just kind of a weirdo. And the, the, the game kind of loved him and he loved the game back. And he's made a lot of difference on guys had a lot of uh, difference, had a lot of change on, on the sport of college football, had a lot of OCs. You talk about Graham Harrell and what he's doing and, and the way that he's changed the game. And, and honestly, fundamentally what made the college, the modern college game different from the game of Herschel Walker is the spread offense and yep. the error rate is obviously different from the spread, but it, it, that was so it blew the doors off when you talk about, you know, Kentucky and what they were doing with Leach and Oklahoma and what they were doing with Leach back in the early 2000s. And so those concepts kind of crept in and now you see the Josh Heupel version of it. So he's just a guy that, that had such a big impact and has had such a big impact on the game. And so it's just, like I said, I didn't realize how much kind of a folk hero he was for me until I started seeing all these videos across Twitter. It's like, Oh my gosh, this guy was one of a kind. One of a kind, one of one. Uh, he he mm-hmm. and was and is one of one. Again, we're 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 talking about somebody because he needs to be appreciated. Because if and I say if right. he has coached his last game, then it would be we'd be remiss if we didn't 
uh, highlight what he's been in this sport. And in Mm -hmm. my opinion, I don't think you can put five people ahead of him in terms of impact they've had on college football, maybe even just football as a whole in terms Mm -hmm. of what it's become in the 2020s and all the different air raid concepts that are all over this sport. But, and that's not just because he was entertaining to listen to at a press conference, right? Mm -hmm. You brought up the, the things about what we've seen and the way that this has played out. And Bruce Feldman had the tweet talking about, look at all these Heisman, you know, top 10 guys who mm-hmm. have, you know, the, these principles of air raid of Mike Leach era air raid, like on their offenses and what they operate in. And, you know, not everybody's out here. Uh, nobody's out here throwing it 50 times a game necessarily at the power five level, the way that Leach has been doing for the last two decades, but mm-hmm. to have been this guy at three different places, three different places in which kind of similar in terms of the talent that you're working with and, and what exactly, you know, what exactly you need to be as a head coach to maximize that potential. And we, we talk about adapt or die. It it is a, it is a staple of this podcast. It absolutely is, but Leach to his credit during this entire time has said, I believe in my system and Mm -hmm. I trust that this is still going to work and I'm not going to necessarily change this, this, or this just because this rule change, or now I can recruit this four-star quarterback. You know, when something like this happens, what I kind of like doing is looking back on, you know, stories from that were written, you know, 15 or 20 years ago about specific people. And this morning I watched the fifth, it was like a 15 minute thing that they did on 60 minutes about him in like 2008 or 2009, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you realize that man, like to be doing it at this level with a style that is so authentically him, so mm-hmm. authentically him is really difficult. Think about all the coaches who try and come into this sport and try and just be 100% authentically them. And we lap them out of the room, right? Mm-hmm. Leach is still here. Yeah. He, he's still here doing it. And um, I, I think that will college football was a, was such an entertaining place with Mike Leach as a focal point in it. And again, I don't mean to use that as past tense and we'll, we'll continue to talk about him as we continue to find out more about his current condition. But it was just one of those things where I think everybody kind of stopped and realized like, Whoa, very few people can claim a legacy like this. And even if he never coaches another game, to, to me, that legacy is very safe. Even if he wasn't your favorite person, even mm-hmm. if you thought his offense struggled in this situation or that situation, you cannot tell the story of college football in the 21st century without giving a significant portion of that story to Mike Leach and what he was. Oh, 100%. And and the crazy thing about it, too, is that he, you know, the personality that he was is exactly what college football needed to have this type of change. Because, you know, you see something like the Wildcat that comes in. It's like, oh, there's like this fun system. It's gone in three years because everybody moves on. But it's like 20 years ago, you know, you saw Mike Leach running this stuff, you know, in Kentucky or these different places. And it's like, okay, this is a crazy concept. Maybe we'll come back to it. And then, Nick, you know, five, six, eight years later goes by. He's at Texas Tech. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a crazy concept. This guy's out there. And the whole time is just this constant Mike Leach who's just, you know, he was the pirate. He was on Friday Night Lights. He was out there. Season four. Yep. yep. He was out there repping his own brand and he w- he was doing that type of stuff. And it's like, it's like football just changes so slowly. And it's like every time football was looking for this next innovation, they just saw the pirate over there and it was like, maybe we should throw it a little bit more. 
Yeah. Maybe we should throw it a little bit more. And they did that five or six times until, to your point, you get offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, you get Baker Mayfield and, and Kyler Murray and these guys running, uh, winning Heisman's and these spread systems and going to the NFL and being, you know, different levels of successful, which even in 2008, you know, guys were talking about Sam Bradford being a guy that was a spread quarterback that couldn't work in the NFL. And now you look at every quarterback that's coming out and they're all to a degree, most, most, right? Unless you play for like Jimbo or somebody, most co- co- uh, co- quarterbacks are to some degree spread quarterbacks. And because that's kind of the right way and yeah it's not air raid yeah it's not 60 passes but it's closer to that than what it was 15 years ago and I think we have Mike Leach to thank for that and I wonder how much of it is is Leach's background and not being this guy who played football at college level he Mm -hmm. played high school football Mm -hmm. he decides I want to be a lawyer for the first 10 years of 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 his post-college life his wife is making more than he is. And he, you know, initially is a GA making three grand a year and was this guy who was willing to put in that time because he felt he had a passion for coaching. He felt mm-hmm. like he understood where exactly this sport was going and, and had a fascination with it. And we were fortunate enough to be able to see as spectators this this personality in a sport that kind of shuns that stuff. I mean, it really does. I can't, I can't tell you that there are three or four coaches that I would want to ask in a press conference setting, what Netflix shows are you watching? But <laughs> like you're getting that opportunity. You're not going to miss that with Mike Leach. And then you're going to listen to a two minute answer in which he says, Oh, I'm not really watching shows. And then he proceeds to name like seven or eight because mm-hmm. he's a human being, a unique one at that. And you just mm-hmm. kind of never knew what you were going to get from him. And the bluntness of what he would be at a halftime interview or something like that was just one of those things that you kind of look forward to and you appreciate. And I remember when we found out Leach was leaving Washington state to come to Mississippi state. And we're like, Oh my God. This conference just got so much more entertaining, so <laughs> much more. And, you know, we don't always have personalities like that. And I think that deserves to be celebrated. And Mike Leach wasn't a perfect human being and he's made mistakes. I think we've held him accountable for some of his missteps that he's had over the years and some of his mm-hmm. comments. But you know what? I think college football became a better place with Mike Leach as a focal point in it. And regardless of, of what happens here with, with his health, I think that deserves to be remembered regardless. Yeah, I think, and and just one final thing on that, you know, he is the epitome of, you know, you can't do that here. He has done it everywhere. And, you know, to your point, he got hired in the SEC. We're like, well, you can't do the air raid here. Oh, you can't have this weird Twitter here. And he's out here tweeting videos of like monkeys attacking people. And it's like, this is the funny, like you could never see Nick Saban doing that. You could never see, you know, even, you know, and we we gave him, you know, grief and we should have, I'm not taking that back about like the girlfriend's comment and everything, but it's like, he literally was just like, I'm going to do what I want. He is the apex um, hoodie and shorts guy. It's like, you know what? This is me. This is me all day. I'm going to be myself all day. And there's something to really, you know, in a lad sense to really respect that because he didn't let society pressure him into this little box. He was like, this is my box. I'm over here. If you're hiring Mike Leach, this is what you're hiring. All right. If we, if we are to tell people who have never watched college football before what Mike Leach is and what he's about and this guy that was teaching a class at Washington state just because he thought it was really interesting to teach a class on war and football. Mm -hmm. Like this, this wouldn't make sense unless you've seen it, unless you've consumed kind of who this guy is because everybody has in their mindset, what a coach is supposed to be and what they're supposed to talk like. And usually if you have that kind of personality that just gets kind of, you know, coached out of you, so to Mm -hmm. speak. And it never really was 
with Leach, sometimes it was great. Sometimes, you know, to his, to, to a fault. And this was what made him so interesting and so unique. And he definitely left his mark on this sport and we'll have a lot more things probably to discuss um, with Mike Leach. But like I said, as of this recording, we don't know anything more official. Um, I, I don't want to assume anything. Okay. I, I'm not, this isn't the place for that. And we'll have plenty of time to be able to, to continue to, to do his legacy justice if that's what's needed at, at a later date. Okay. Um, here's the plan for today. I'm going to go through my thought process of filling out my first Heisman ballots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Didn't just tweet it out like a sucker on Saturday night. <laughs> Made you come listen to this podcast. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got former Arkansas quarterback, Matt Jones, coming up in a little bit. He's going to look back on his career, talk about his new chapter in radio. Was just talking to him earlier. Just a, a, a very a very unique guy and what he kind of went through. So we'll go down that road. Somebody that Arkansas fans know very, very well. And then we're going to do baby announcements in figuring it out. Before we get to everything, we talk about Texas Pete each and every podcast. It is our presenting sponsor. I always try and come up with something unique that I can say about Texas Pete. How about, it's just really freaking good. It's just really freaking good. And you know what I love about Texas Pete is that when I get to the end of the bottle, you actually start to get more sauce that comes out. I don't know why hot sauce bottles operate like that, where it starts to come out faster when it's at the end of the bottle. That kind of defeats what what I think are the laws of physics, but whatever. Nonetheless, I, it makes me savor those last few bites. And I love me the end of a bottle of Texas Pete because I always have another one ready to go. That's the way that we roll. Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Okay, my first Heisman Trophy ballot. I thought about the different ways to do this. I know a lot of people tweet out their ballot immediately after the Heisman ceremony. And mm-hmm. by the way, you you cannot release it beforehand. They, they, right. they make you... You don't sign the NDA, but you agree to an NDA. I realize that sounds very redundant, but that's that's the process. So it's super difficult to talk about it in the days that you have, in between the days that you filled out your ballot and before the ceremony. So in those like five, six days, whatever the case may be. And I'm mm-hmm. doing radio shows last week and they're like, so how ridiculous it is that Hennon Hooker didn't make it to New York or who do you think is going to win? And like, I'll, I'll try and be a little bit more coy about it in the future, but I would mm-hmm. basically start with the disclaimer of, Hey, I can't disclose exactly how I felt about this, this, and this. Um, but you know, I, I think that there was still some context that was added to it. So before I say my ballot, I want it on record that I absolutely thought Hennon Hooker deserved to be in New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. 100%. There was never a point in this process in which, in my opinion, he wasn't a top four candidate. I I thought there was no doubt about it whatsoever. Top four guy. He gave Mm -hmm. Tennessee its best regular season in two decades. He beat Bama in a game for the ages. You you are able to make a once proud program nationally relevant, lead them all the way to a number one ranking in the playoff poll in November. To me, that makes you absolutely a top four guy. No questions asked. I love Hendon Hooker. Will you love Hendon Hooker? We mm-hmm. are hen dogs through and through. Everybody needs to know that, right? Right. Okay, that's that's on record. I put him. Also, as oh by the way, I had him as one of my preseason top four Heisman bets as well. Mm-hmm. Bang the drum for him. Okay. So that's, that's out there. 
when Josh Heupel was out here starting Joe Milton last year, we were telling Tennessee fans, Hey, I think, think the better quarterback is waiting there on the bench. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that was 100% true. So I want all that, all that's out there. Everybody knows that everybody hears me. Everybody understands we have bled orange at different points in this podcast. We have, we don't have any sort of anti-Tennessee agenda. Okay. We don't, but after a week of agonizing, However. <laughs> here's the, but, um, I didn't agonize about who I had at one or two um, because I had Caleb Williams at one. I had Max Duggan at two. I, I felt very good about that. And I'll explain kind of my rationale for that a little bit later. I decided that when I put three names on my ballot, Hendon Hooker just narrowly, narrowly missed the cut. And I felt sick about it. Mm-hmm. I did. I like, I, I kid you not like Lauren would catch moments where I'm like looking off into space and I'm just like still thinking about it. Like it, before the ballot, after the ballot was, was kind of like just in a little bit of a daze, like just my brain just in a pretzel because I truly went back and forth and all the different ways in which I looked at this, I promise this was not a lazy decision. That's not the way that I operate. It mm-hmm. absolutely is not. And I know there are Tennessee fans that heard me say that. And they just called me every single name in the book. And you think that my vote should be stripped. You're like one and done voter. Get out of here. We don't need you. You complain Mm -hmm. about not having a vote. You finally get one and you screw it up. Way to go, Connor. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. You suck. I hear you. I hear you. I really do. Trust me when I say that. um, I watch football. Uh, I crunch numbers. <laughs> I I used historical context. I use current context. I use different data points to make this decision. And I thought about this before I found out that I had a vote. I was studying before I knew I had a test. All right. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And when it was one in the morning, your boy was out here watching Caleb Williams do his thing and thinking about whether he was really holding up against decent defenses, which is the exact thing that I criticized him for coming into this year and in the first part of the season. Okay. We tried to make sure that we were covering all angles. And when I could have just said, ah, I want to go to bed, I'm kind of, you know, dial it back on the podcast notes or whatever. I'm like, nope, I'm going to have this on in the background. I'm going to watch Caleb Williams. I'm going to come up with my podcast notes. Boom. We're ready to go. We're studying at all hours of the day. We're using all resources that we have. No West coast bias here. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's out there. I killed Williams at one. I did. I didn't want them. I, if you did, that's perfectly fine. But I personally didn't think that the nail polish thing was a deal breaker. I didn't. I, not my favorite move. Well, we were talking about this before we came on. I'm a little bit, more, you know, I was, I was raised with MJ. Right. Summers of Chicago kid. All right. That quiet confidence you have behind closed doors, to me, you, you flex on them afterwards. That's right. when you find out. Not not, not really beforehand. Not my thing. But you get it. And you see stuff like this all the time. You're, you're the guy that loves to call out the person that prematurely, you know, maybe Celebrate. gets ahead of their skis. Yeah. Yes. You know, if you're fumbling out of bounds, even if you're Kayshawn Booty, I'm going to make fun of you because if you're like walking into the end zone and fumbling, doesn't matter if you're Deshaun Jackson or if you're Kayshawn Booty, the whole, I'm going to make fun of you equally. All right. <laughs> Equal opportunist troller that, that much you are. Yes. I didn't want to look at the nail polish thing. I wanted to instead look at USC losing Travis Dye, season ending injury. His top two receivers missed multiple games. That defense blew chunks. They did. They were bad. Bottom 15 in the country and yards per play allowed. If Caleb Williams was anything less than Superman, there's not a chance that USC would have sniffed 11 and one with a berth in the Pac 12 championship. Even in that lone regular season loss to Utah, my Utah Utes, 
I still looked at that USC offense and was like, oh, they averaged eight yards per play. They were moving the football. The defense yeah. just sucked. They're terrible. Before the conference championship, he's a le- he's got a TD die and T ratio of 11 to zero with five rushing touchdowns and over 1200 passing yards in five games against top 70 scoring defenses, right? That was the metric we looked at coming into this year. Show us you can do it against a decent defense. And again, Mm -hmm. I say defense a bit liberally. That's not defense, but you didn't do it last year. How do you do it this year? He definitely answered that, including the conference championship. If you look at power five starters with at least four games against teams who are currently in the AP top 25, he was third in quarterback rating really good in those games that counted the games that aged well so yeah while he was sitting there with you know 47 total touchdowns against a schedule that featured 11 games against power five competition if you include notre dame i still wanted to make sure that it wasn't just padding the stats and to me this wasn't that so mm-hmm. i had i had him at one any problems with caleb williams at one no yeah i mean i think i i get it i mean i think um i might as well do this here I think this is like one of the least impressive Heisman fields in a while. Uh, It has nothing to do with voting. I I was really thinking about the other day. I was like, when you look back at the photos of like the previous Heisman winners, where he's like, yeah, you got this dude who finished third, who ended up being like an all pro. And you got this dude who was like, ended up here. This guy was the best player in the history of his program. And he was fourth. I just didn't really see a guy that I was like, like, that's the thing is like, am I crazy about Caleb Williams? No. Is there a guy who I feel like got robbed? No. So it's like, it doesn't really, that's one of those. It's like, you got to find the victim for there to be a crime. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of one of the least like compelling Heisman winners in a while, but at the same time, it's like, who should have got it? Probably still him. There's not like a Darren McFadden here. There's not like some guy who's like, like Max Duggan's super cool story is a year of him. Stroud, yeah. ah, I want to feel bad for you, but you had one big game. You lost it horribly to Michigan. It's like Stetson, again, we tell you, know, Stetson's good. He's a solid player. It's not like he, you know, if he had 30 touchdowns, it would be a different conversation just to be objective. So yeah, I don't really think there's a guy who it's like, you should have voted for this guy. Yeah. And that's kind of what you, what, what I kind of took away from doing this process for the first time was if you put, and maybe, maybe this field and you just spoke to that was part of the reason why I felt this way, but I thought there were a lot of different arguments to be made and it really was not that clear cut. I think in other years, it's been clear cut. If you're going to sit here and try and tell me that Joe Burrow didn't deserve to win the Heisman trophy in 2019, we're going to have some words. Okay. I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm going to tell you that you're an idiot. I'm going to tell you that you have some sort of anti LSU bias. If you're going to sit here and try and tell me that Devonte Smith wasn't the best player in college football in 2020, I'm going to say, you need to stop just giving it to quarterbacks. I need, you need to start, start realizing that there are other players on the football field that are eligible to win the most exclusive award there is in college football. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I I think there are other years in which you can make that case. And then a year like this. Yeah. I I thought Caleb Williams was the best player in the country, not really too much of an argument. And I think that championship game turns out differently if he stays healthy and you saw he was balling in the first part of that game. And if that was your Mm -hmm. whole thing, it's like, all right, well look at the other candidates here. It's not like we got a bunch of conference championship winning quarterbacks who went 13 and oh and 50 touchdowns. Like this, this wasn't the year necessarily for the traditional Heisman arc and i think that's why there was so much disagreement on who got to new york right there were a lot of great players but was there that historic all-time great season that we'll be talking about 20 years from now no i had max duggan at two okay i don't think he was an inch away from winning the heisman Mm -hmm. 
kind of seen some people say that, but I, I do think if he scores that touchdown, it, he probably gets more than 188 first place votes. That's fair to say with the way that mm-hmm. that, that would have all set up with the comeback and being down double digits in the fourth quarter, all those different things and playing his guts out. He entered conference championship weekend, fourth in FBS and quarterback rating. And then he delivered a showing that in my opinion, was as greedy as it gets in a losing effort. And you're going to look at the box score and say, oh, you know, he completed 50% of his passes and whatnot. No, no, no. Go back and watch that drive, especially at the end there where he's trying to bring that team back. It was very, very impressive. It's exactly what you would ask for of a guy in that spot. We praised Bryce Young last year for keeping Alabama's playoff chances alive with that late drive against Auburn and what he was able to do despite the fact that the box score kind of told a different story. I thought the same thing absolutely could have worked in favor of Max Duggan and not statistically speaking, but watching Duggan in the big 12 championship in a way, correct me if I'm wrong here. It it, it felt a little bit like KJ against Ole Miss last year. (laughs) He's doing his absolute best out there. Yeah. Just doing his best. Like how can you not love that guy type of effort? You know, where he's running, he's throwing, he's taking hits, he's diving for first downs. He's got all the cuts on his elbow that they kept talking about. Like Mm -hmm. he's trying to do everything he can to muster up all that energy on the sideline. Like it, it was a true empty the tank game. And I love seeing, college kids who seize that moment and realize like we're, we're maxing out everything here. I'm not assuming yep. we got a spot in the playoff or anything. I, I love that. I thought that was great to see. And that's after obviously the regular season that he have that he had of going, of going 12 and 0. And this was somebody who wasn't even locked in to be a starter until the Chandler Morris injury happened in the opener. And they were still trying to figure that out. You know, it's a new mm-hmm. coach with Sonny Dykes, but you're one coach for a team that ranked 32nd in the country in the 247 sports talent composite one spot behind Mizzou. (laughs) He does that on a team that doesn't really have household name skill players outside of maybe Quentin Johnson. Like he was awesome. He was really good. 30 to four TDIT ratio, 36 total touchdowns for a power five team who went 12 and one with a nine and O conference record in the regular season. Big 12, I thought was decent. Wasn't great but was at least decent and not a total laughing stock. I think there were still like four to five really solid teams and Kansas state ended up being one of those really solid teams. So mm-hmm. yeah, even in a losing effort, I still didn't come away and be like, Oh no, he shouldn't go to New York as a result of that. I mean, last year, TCU was a five win team who replaced their statue coach. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Sonny Dykes is that dude. It appears. Yeah. Three year one, it really, truly could not have gone better. I, I will not argue anybody against anybody that puts Sonny Dykes as their coach of the year. No mm-hmm. arguments here whatsoever. And I'm not a quarterback wins guy. Okay. Try and stay away from that. I think there's so many other factors that go into it. Football is not an individual game, but I absolutely think that it, it, it helped Duggan kind of solidify one of those top three spots for me, seeing that, that year to year turnaround and what they were and why you just couldn't put that team away and how clutch they were in the second half of some of these games. Well, the thing is, too, like winning, winning is funny as a QB stat, because like, I was talking to one of my buddies the other day about the 2020 uh, draft class in the NFL. And I was like, we have like Burrow and then Hertz and then probably now Herbert and then Tua. And I was like, well, the thing about Burrow is winning kind of is his thing. Like, so at some point, it's like you put him on this poverty team and he makes them into a winner with his presence. And it's like Max Duggan. That winning is his thing. Like, at the end of the day, I'm not saying he's going to be a great NFL quarterback or anything, but when you watch him play, it's ugly, dude. Like, if you watch their offense expecting to see, like, a like a beautiful game the way that you see Caleb, you're not going to see that. But you're going to see a dude who is 
winning. You're going to see a dude who is out there doing what it takes to win. And sometimes that is some, you know, sometimes more impressive than the beautiful game that get that hits a rock. It's like every game was a rock for TCU. Because I think sometimes we look at it through the lens of NFL potential that, mm-hmm. that absolutely factors into this. How many viral plays are you making? And I think that's a part of the Heisman conversation because it's a, it's a, the easiest possible way to put gasoline on your Heisman fire, so to mm-hmm. speak, because you're going to get seen in a hurry. And there's a reason why we are talking about Saquon Barkley as the Heisman in 2017 in October, because mm-hmm. dude goes viral like once a game and it's fun to watch that. And everybody's like, oh my God, this guy's on such a different level. So there, there's an element to that. Max Duggan didn't necessarily have that, but if you're talking about a guy who did everything you could have possibly asked, I mean, everything that's an underrated thing with a year one coach to have a quarterback that is able to kind of rally the troops and his, and I'm not saying that Sonny Dykes had to like win over the locker room constantly, but in those moments when you kind of fall behind, we talked about this with LSU, it's not a given that everybody's going to give a crap. It's just mm-hmm. not. And you need a guy under center, behind center, I guess, who's going to understand the magnitude of each situation and kind of what it takes for a team to be able to win. And everybody was waiting on TCU to lose. Everybody was waiting on, on them to lose. Max Duggan put together a great season. So, yeah, that's why I had him at number two. Now is the part <laughs> um, where some people will turn off the podcast or they're going to send me nasty messages. Don't give us a one-star review based on this. Don't. Just accept that we have different opinions. That's perfectly fine. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I don't know that there were more than 15 reps of this guy that I didn't see. Okay. I, I I watched basically every meaningful rep this guy played in 2022. So miss me with the whole, like you didn't watch football. If you have this guy on your ballot. No, no, no. I had stats in a three. Okay. And like I said, I agonized over the, the Stetson versus Hendon decision. I I really did for that number three spot because the exact scenario that I feared played out. And I had this weird feeling that it would, and I'm not saying it's a result of my vote. So don't blame me for that. I'm not the reason that Hendon did not get to New York. Okay. I cannot emphasize that enough. South Carolina, good vibes team though. We do wear that one. That may have been a little bit premature. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After the way that it's played out with the portal and some of these hires there, that might be a little bit tough. We'll see if South Carolina can win that back. That's not going to be an easy thing to do. I figured only one of those two guys, Stetson or Hendon was going to get to New York because for whatever reason, everybody just, decided that CJ Stroud was fine, even though I think he's like the fourth best Ohio state quarterback of the playoff era. And to me, I looked at his case and I said, "Mm, I had him at seventh. I didn't have him in the top three. I didn't have him in the top four. I had him at seventh and I would have put Bryce young. I would have put Blake Corum ahead of him To, to, to me because against the teams that mattered, I did not think Stroud was the guy who carried Ohio state and go back and look what changed that Penn state game as well. And that was defensive play. And that was not CJ Stroud putting on his Cape. And that's where I think you can kind of get caught up in like the box score versus what your eyes are telling you. And my eyes routinely told me like, I don't know that Stroud is like that game changer of a guy. He's a great college player, but like, I don't think he's on that level. And I didn't think he was on that level this year. How much of that was not having Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't know, but to me, it was wild to see that he just got this pass. He got a pass that entire week, and nobody was criticizing that. Instead, everybody who had a gripe with the Heisman was fixing all of their energy on Stetson. But here's Mm -hmm. why I kept coming back to Stetson and why I thought it was just 
wildly ignored by the people saying that he wasn't even a top 20 quarterback in the country. And I'm not saying he's the most talented. I'm not saying he has the best numbers, but here's what I kept coming back to in the games that were going to define your season. How did you play? Okay. Simple Mm -hmm. concept in my prep for the sec championship. I dug up Stetson's numbers the last two seasons when he was the starter against teams who are ranked at the time of the matchup and they were ridiculously good. So I'm like, all right, let's take it a step further. That kind of prompted me to think of what is more relevant in my opinion, whether you performed against a team that ended up being one of those top 25 teams, right? Because you see the teams like AM who, you know, AM starts off as the number six team in the country. Are you talking about them as a, as a performance against a top 10, a top 15 team? No, you shouldn't be. You should have context with it. Yeah, I'm not losing AM. Couldn't be you. Couldn't be you. <laughs> Literally hit you. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, this was one of those things that even though I, said, I don't think Stetson is going to win the Heisman. And I, I banged that drum. And I said, look, if you think he's going to win the Heisman, I think you're ignoring that you, you need better numbers. You just do. And I, I understand all of that stuff. But how his performances aged against quality competition, or rather, how, does Stetson, how did Stetson's performances look against what we now feel like is high-quality competition? So teams are, the, like the teams that are ranked in the top 25, at this moment, as of this recording, in the AP Top 25, those numbers that Stetson put up are ridiculously good. And mm-hmm. that was that was something that I, I came to that conclusion before the SEC championship. And, oh, all he did in the SEC championship was complete 79% of his passes and throw for four touchdowns against an LSU defense who had held all but three opponents to 24 points or less in regulation. So if we want to include the SEC championship, Stetson had five games against teams who are currently ranked in the AP top 25. His quarterback rating was 185.21. Okay. He had at least three total touchdowns in all of those games. His only turnovers were the two picks that he threw against Mississippi state. He had an average of 307 total yards in those games. Let me go back to his quarterback rating in those games, which doesn't include by the way, the four rushing scores and how he became a much better red zone runner. And that's an underrated thing. Go ask Jackson Dart about that. Just saying Hmm. 185.21 against teams who are currently ranked in the AP top 25. That is easily the best in college football this year easily Mm -hmm. if you look at guys who have at least four such games that is against teams that finished in the ap top 25 closest to that right now dorian thompson robinson at 168.7 okay that's significant Mm -hmm. and by the way hooker really solid 154.96 Really solid. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. So this isn't an anti-hooker stat. This is just a pro Stetson stat. Those are two different things. Okay. If you think Stetson is just Greg McElroy, which some people listening to this somehow do, even though Stetson (laughs) averaged 29 passing attempts in those games and McElroy completed 55.7% of his passes in the five games that he threw that many times during Bama's title season. Then Bama lost three of the four games when McElroy threw the ball 29 times, but I digress. We love Greg McElroy Slender. Let's go. All right. Didn't, yeah, didn't think I get a little yeah. dessert in this one. <laughs> yeah. Stetson, with a quarterback rating of 185.21 against AP ranked foes, as in teams who finished in those spots, here mm-hmm. is the list of playoff era quarterbacks with a better quarterback rating in those games. And remember, we're talking a minimum of four games against final AP top 25 teams. Okay. Here's the list mm-hmm. 2017 Baker Mayfield. He won the Heisman. Mm hmm. 
2018 Kyler Murray. He won the Heisman too. 2019 Joe Burrow. Uh, yeah, won the Heisman. 2020 Mac Jones, third in the Heisman. Mm-hmm. 2021 CJ Stroud, second in the Heisman. I went back and counted all of the quarterbacks in playoff era who played at least four games against teams who finished as AP top 25 teams. Well, there's 275 of them, 275. Stetson ranked sixth among those guys. That's based over a nine-year period, okay? That's a long time. That's Mm -hmm. that's basically a decade. That's a very long time. Quarterback rating was 180 or better in four of those five games this year. And by the way, four of those five games were away from Athens. So miss me with this whole Stetson is just a game manager thing, okay? I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to have an NFL future or whatever, but I actually feel like the people accusing others of being lazy for, quote, putting the quarterback on the number one team on their Heisman ballots are actually the ones who didn't watch Stetson this year because he got Mm -hmm. so much better. He really did. Because if they did watch that, they would have seen that every single time Stetson faced one of these quality foes, he balled out. He was really good. He was. And they also would have seen that Stetson had 32 dropbacks per game this year or against these final AP top 25 teams. His adjusted completion percentage, according to PFF, was 79%. Okay? He did everything you could have possibly wanted a guy to do in this spot. Because we're not crowning Heisman trophies for games played against Mizzou or Kent State, okay? That's that's not what this is about. That's not what I wanted to be about. Okay. Never has been, never will be. And by the way, in those two games, when Georgia's defense actually kind of struggled, it was Stetson who pulled him back. Mm -hmm. It was, even though those weren't his best games by any stretch of the imagination, nobody's winning a Heisman based on that. And again, I didn't think that Stetson was worthy of winning the award. That's not what I am here saying because he wasn't good enough outside of those games to warrant being the best individual player in the sport. But man, I was like sitting here biting my tongue for a week. I was, it was hard. It was really hard because I love Hendon. I do. Hooker was great. And I have no problem with anyone who voted him number two, but I do think that there are things that get overlooked a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me Stetson is just a game manager and then ignore the fact that Stetson averaged more passing attempts per game than Hendon Hooker. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. what, what, what are we doing here? It's not all about numbers. But with the way that some people were talking about Hooker and how he should have won the award, you would have thought the guy had like some 40 passing touchdown, 10 rushing touchdown season. And again, you can't just look at numbers, but I mean, he's eighth among power five quarterbacks in touchdown passes. They dialed the rushing back with him to try and keep him healthy because he wasn't also running for his life as much the way that he was last year. So that's Mm -hmm. part of it. That probably hurt some of his production, but he didn't have this unbelievable statistical year in the way that some people made it seem like he did. And what sort of rubbed me the wrong way with, with Hooker and Stroud was that there was a pretty significant decrease in their efficiency with ranked foes versus unranked foes. And I hate even saying that because I'm not anti-Hendon at all. I need that on record. He should have been in New York. I agree. But I thought we should have been arguing against Stroud and not against Stetson because for whatever reason, we still can't accept the fact that not everything comes down to recruiting rankings and NFL potential. And we can actually look at things through a different lens and we can ignore the fact that a guy is sub six foot and he's 25 years old. We should be able to move on from these things because we have two eyes, but instead we fall into these lazy narratives. And I thought actually ignoring Stetson this time was falling for the lazy narrative. So yeah. Um, 
one last thing. <laughs> this is just a little peek inside my brain and what's been going on and how I've been just waiting to just projectile vomit this all, all over the pod. That's a gross way to put it. No, but I mean, this is, I mean, it's a Heisman vote. You have a Heisman vote. So I think at the end of the day, it's like, we can sit here, like you have, you, you understand the responsibility of it, right? It's like, it's like, we can sit here and talk about Heisman last season and we, our opinions, I mean, your opinion is still greater than mine because you're a senior writer, but then now you have a vote. So it's like, Hey, like you're like, you actually have an ability to change this stuff. And I mean, credit to you for not just doing the, uh, the anti thing, which I would have done, which has just been like Hendon hooker, number one, Stetson Bennett, number two, <laughs> and just wait the averages out backwards and be like, ha ha, I think, St- I, I think Hendon's fourth, but he won't get there. So he needs my right. first place. vote. <laughs> see, you're not gaming the system. I'll give you credit on that. But I just want to say really quick on these guys. I think you're, you're totally there. Would you rather keep going? and let me say mine no yeah far away far away um so yeah i i think that you're right there and and that it is this should just be a cj stroud slander podcast i was just looking at the voting from last year and he came in fourth last year um hayden hudgeson had that late rise and it's like dude how do you like he had a worse season that's what nobody's talking about about stroud is that he was simply worse this year than he was last year in like every single metric and i'm just not sure what he did like okay you beat notre dame right after they or right before they lost to marshall congrats you beat penn state which i think penn state is like an inside job i don't think that's a real school i don't think they're a real team i think you're just in the big 10 to lose to ohio state and michigan i don't think that they're actually a real place i don't know but on tv i watch them and i'm like you're gonna lose this game you're gonna find a way (laughs) auburn fans can confirm that's a real team but yeah are they they lost and they fired their coach look (laughs) fair fair. you don't believe you'll lose to that team it doesn't work i I was blown away though by by like this just acceptance of cj shroud it's just because like he's a future top five pick or whatever and and he had this great year last year and he was household name coming into this year i just to me like I could, I, and I tried to challenge myself in, in the researching process. I'm like, there's a significant dip with what he did against the teams that matter. And, and to me, like that, that has to be accounted for. It absolutely has to. And when they needed him, he couldn't pull him back out against, against Michigan. And not everybody would have been able to, but man, it just seemed like th- there was such a dismissal of his, of his credentials. It just bothered me. I, you know, I just, I, I hate the person that Kanye has become because his quotes used to be legendary. And one of his, they, they, they would wonder, uh, what, what was his quote? I, everyone was asking what would happen if I lost. Guess we'll never know. And like, that's where Stetson Bennett is right now, where it's like, hey, you know, maybe if he played, you know, maybe if he had this situation where it's like, oh, well, what if he played? Okay, well, who cares? He's never lost. We haven't well, seen him lose. So that's kind of the point of this. Guess we'll never know. You know, he might lose in the playoff, but then he's in the playoff. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. And so point being like, I, I, I kind of like those guys are complete foils of one another, right? Because CJ Stroud is just like off the bus guy that you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to 500 yards and five touchdowns day. And he's out there against Michigan, just being bad. And you're like, what's going on? This is wrong. And then Stetson, it's like, even as an LSU fan, I've been guilty of it where it's like, oh, we need to put the ball in Stetson's hands and see how this goes. Brother, not good. Didn't go yeah. well at all. I was literally like, okay, I really hope they don't run the ball in the SEC championship game. Cause the rush defense was so bad. Put the ball in Stetson's hands on the second drive. It was just pow, 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 touchdown. I was like, this guy might actually be good. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's you find yourself watching these games that you're talking about, and you just keep saying that over and over and over again. Over the course of three years, it's like this is just kind of who he is. I don't know. And he's gotten better and better and better. And, and to me, like that's it's not just as simple as he's throwing into these massive windows and he's making throws that anybody at the high school level can come in and do. And you can 
you there there are ways to look at what he has been able to develop into in Todd Munkin's offense and process that this isn't just some like system game manager. And even if another Georgia quarterback comes along and throws for more touchdown passes than, than he does, it doesn't mm-hmm. diminish what he did in these big time moments and ask these fan bases on opposing teams. And you being one of them as an LSU guy, how did you feel about Stetson's performance beforehand? And how did mm-hmm. you feel about it afterwards? Because I guarantee you, you looked up and realized, Oh man, dude just took us to the woodshed and Tennessee He's fans. <laughs> Like he did, he did, mm-hmm. and that's that's what he 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 became, in my opinion, one of the best players in college football for his ability to do that. So you brought up the point, and whatever Tennessee fan was was bringing up, and the reason, one of the reasons why I still agonized over putting Hendon in was okay. If you put Stetson in the Tennessee offense and you put Hendon in the Georgia offense, like how does it compare? All these different things. Mm-hmm. What those people who use that as a way to dunk on Stetson failed to mention was. Like, okay, like, yes, move on from the fact that Stetson is playing with the number one defense in college football. Okay, I agree. That helps him 100%. Agreed. But no, he doesn't just have five-star skill players all over the place. And mm-hmm. some made it seem like Hennon Hooker was out here throwing to some buddies who had nothing better to do on a Saturday, even though it was Hooker who had the freaking Bolitnikoff award winner that he was throwing to. And he mm-hmm. had the coach with five consecutive top 10 offenses and Josh Heupel, who knows his way around a playbook, okay? Yeah, like, not to be discussed, but it was Jalen Hyde who had, like, what, five touchdowns against Alabama? It was Ladd McConkney who was out there fumbling and dropping balls against Kid State. Like, let's be honest here. Right. So that my like the, the Tennessee fans would argue that they are the best receivers in America, and yet that they're bums when it comes to the Heisman. Right? Pick late. Like I say, be consistent, dog. Whatever your story is, stick to it. So I I didn't want to get hung up in that because I'm like I love Hendon supporting cast, and I think right. he plays in a great scheme that absolutely benefits him. And Stetson was the one who's playing in an offense that hadn't been in the top forty nationally in passing since the Aaron Murray era. So like. We, we can go every different way with that. But if that was your only argument to me, that didn't really hold up because yes, yeah, Stetson has freakish tight ends to throw to. There's no doubt about it. Darnell Washington's the only five-star who caught a pass from Stetson this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like people, people are acting Brock like he's just not a five-star. Yeah. How is Brock Bowers not a five-star? Cause he we got to call in- Shannon Terry and be like, what'd you see? Yeah. Uh, it's cause he was from wine country. Did you think he like, just like drinking wine all day or something like that? He thought he was soft. <laughs> That's just funny. Oh, yeah. I, I just want to say really quick on Hinden before I forget. The other thing about Hinden that is a little bit unfortunate, obviously, with the injury. I remember looking this up when he was kind of the favorite. You put me on that 40 touchdowns thing. He had 30 total touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? So if it would be one thing, if I know the injury mattered, but he really even was barely on pace for that. Like, you, he wasn't going to have five touchdowns in the next two games. You know what I'm saying? Like, each. He had the Vandy game, which obviously would have helped him. But it, it wouldn't. It wasn't like, you know, the second game happened, right? So he was not going to get to 40 touchdowns. And to be in a situation where you lost to Stetson and you're not Caleb Williams, you need to have 40, 45 touchdowns to get yourself into that top three to be, you know, considered. It's just, it sucks, but... He, he did a ton 20 to 20, but then that rushing offense was obviously really effective in the goal line. So that kind of vulture touchdowns from him. So if you go back and really, really look at his stats, they're not what you saw with your eyes, to your point. I actually didn't even want to do the head to head thing. Okay. Mm. Because if you're just looking to me, that that's a, if you're just looking at it through that lens, to me, that's very narrow minded because right. Stetson faced Tennessee's defense at home and Hendon yeah. faced Georgia's defense on the road. So like, what are, if that's your your deal breaker of this is ultimately why Stetson's a better player, I'm like, all right, come on. Like, we think, what do we think that freaking Zach Calzada is better than Bryce Young here? Like, one beat the other. Got, got to factor it in. Like, come on. Like, 
Nope. That, that's not what this should come down to. We have more data points as mm -hmm. we have kind of outlined in this entire thing. And there were, there were just so many different things that I looked at and I, I, I was pained with this decision. I really was because of how much I love Hendon, but uh, I, I just thought Hendon and, you know, Hendon maybe not having that full season probably hurt his case a little bit. And I thought him being just a touch off in some of these games, some of these big time games, including the South Carolina game, which it wasn't just about that, but even before he went down, as bad as the defense was in that game, Hennon was off that game. Tennessee fans know Hennon mm -hmm. was off that game. Okay. He just was. So, um, yeah. Uh, anything else on this? Because I think if Hennon and Bryce had stayed healthy, I think they would have both gone to New York and Stroud and Stetson would have stayed home. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, and there also wasn't any like outstanding defensive player. You're talking about Aiden Hutchinson, like some of these guys that have made it, Sue, Matthew, those guys. And so it's like, and that was the weird thing is it's like the, 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 the menu here was just very limited, you know? So, cause you're right. You, you didn't get to vote for a full strength Bryce Young or a full strength and hooker, even Caleb Williams was a little bit banged up. So yeah, no, I, I think this is just kind of is what it is. If you're, like I said, if you're upset about this Heisman, there's a very good chance that your guy could have done something a little bit differently. And for Hendon, obviously it wasn't getting injured. It was how he played in a couple of these games. Just to be, just keep it a buck with you, man. I know it, it is. And, and it shouldn't take away from Hendon's legacy at all. And I realize that getting to New York is a really big deal. And mm -hmm. I take that very seriously. Next year, early Heisman favorites. We know, we know the mantra friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. This still held up because Caleb Williams wasn't a top two guy. He was mm -hmm. three. So I think it still plays. It still plays. And the logic mm -hmm. still rock solid. We're going to stick to it. Trademark pending. I don't think I can get that trademark because it's got Heisman in the phrase, but you get what I'm saying. This is assuming that those top end NFL draft prospects declare. Okay. We're not talking about mm -hmm. like a Bryce Young coming back to college. Okay. We're not doing anything like that. I couldn't mentally handle that because the amount of fluff pieces about saving system and Bryce Young wanted to just stay in Tuscaloosa for another year. Like that would be insane. But he's leaving. <laughs> could, could Bryce Young become a bajillionaire if he stayed one more year at Alabama? Some people are asking. <laughs> Bryce Young owning five branches of Bryant Bank just randomly. Like, oh, don't worry about it, bro. Anyway, he's got an NIL deal to own the state of Alabama. Um, <laughs> it's this new thing. Yeah, the government just kind of set it up. It's really cool. Yeah, um, whenever we sign a bill now, we got to run it by Bryce Young. It's really weird. He's playing for the Raiders now. He has a big time for us. It's like, I think NIL is getting a little out of control. Just maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so no particular order for the SEC. Early Heisman favorites, Judkins, Rocket, KJ, Brock Bowers, but I realize that's, I mean, Kyle Pitts is the only tight end to finish in the top 10 of the Heisman since I think the Jimmy Carter administration. I think that, it's that Jimmy Notre Carter. Dame tight end that we talked about. Yes. It was like a four-time academic All-American, like national champion. Yeah, caught like three touchdown passes or something like that. Like, oh, that's a weapon right there. Right. So, yeah, not going to be easy. But, you know, you never know just with the way that things played out. 2020 Devontae Smith. I always think there's a little bit more wiggle room for the the non-quarterback stuff, even what some of the voting suggests at times. Um, and then the kind of intriguing one in the SEC, Connor Wigman? Connor Wigman. Um, I'm going to get some hate on that. Jimbo's turning over the offense, Will. I'm just saying from an odds perspective. I'm not saying he's to like whom, one of those. If he turns it over, <laughs> if he turns it over, 
if he turns it over, and we're not sure as of this recording if he's no, I know that's the point. Yeah, he's turning it over, but it could technically get worse. We don't know who he's who he's turning it over to. If he turns it over to Bobby Petrino, we need cameras on those two guys nonstop. Y'all thought 2014 Kiffin Saban was fun to watch on the sideline? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. The egos at play there would just be off the charts. Read first in 10, Matt Hayes, SaturdayOnSouth.com right now. A very in-depth breakdown of why the Bobby Petrino dynamic with Jimbo turning over the offense would be just wild uh, to consider. That would be a lot of fireworks. But Anyway, that's just kind of early for the SEC, kind of what I was looking at. And then, you know, nationally speaking, of course, Caleb Williams, Kenny Repeat, Drake May, Michael Penix Jr., who just needed to get out of the state of Indiana to ball like he did this year. Um, mm -hmm. Jordan Travis is another interesting one. Could very much factor in the conversation. We'll wait and see some of these portal guys. Uh, Devin Leary, if he ends up at a place with a lot of options around him, could be interesting. Marvin Harrison Jr., he's going to be a household name. So I'm probably forgetting a ton, but that's like 10. I don't know. Those guys will all be, they'll be up there. Yeah, it's like next year has very like new guy vibes. Because even Caleb Williams, like you say, he's a guy that we kind of knew, but he wasn't like a top guy. And this next year is like, oh, we're going to get introduced to some dudes over the course of next year because, you know, we talked about the 2020 year not counting for eligibility, like redshirt transfer, stuff like that. So there's not really like we had a pretty well-known class coming back this year. Next year is like we, we might be looking at the end of the year like, who are these cats? They're really yeah. good. It's, it's a good year to do that. It's a really good yeah. year to do that. I don't know if it's a year that a defensive player is going to break through because you could look at it from two standpoints and say, well, Will Anderson had the year that he had last year and dude didn't even get to New York. You point to Aiden Hutchinson and realize, okay, well, there was at least someone on the defensive side of the ball who did that. I'm not saying that that's right. I would have had Will Anderson absolutely in New York. I would have voted for him ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. I get that. Didn't wear enough Patagonia. That was Will Anderson's problem. Oh, man, if, if he had that NIL deal, that would have been fire he would have been perfectly fine mm -hmm. but you could look at it and say well maybe this will be what 2006 was where uh Darren mcfadden can't win the heisman as a sophomore mm -hmm. and then everybody kind of at least has that conversation of what are we really doing here why is this only reserved for the upperclassmen and then the very next year tebow wins the heisman of course beating out Darren McFadden to be able to do it, but Tebow winning the Heisman as a sophomore. So like maybe there's a dynamic like that that can work with defensive players because we talked about it so much in 2021 mm -hmm. that that could be a possibility, but it really didn't ever enter the forefront this year. Could it have, could it have become a conversation if Jalen Carter had played an entire season? I think so. Mm -hmm. I absolutely think so, but still not probably getting to that level of seriously considering him for for number one to be able to to win the award it's still going to be probably uh probably going to take a bit of time for something like that to happen mm -hmm. okay um before we kick it to matt jones a quick word from our friends at underdog so everybody knows if you listen to this podcast you've you've heard us talk about underdog and you maybe you live in one of these states where Betting isn't legal on sports. You can't do it in Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, very fun to do, and they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's bowl season. You don't want to just have bowl pick them. You want to get a little bit more action in the game. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive agreement with Underdog right now. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play with these contests. So what is look like for college football every week you can pick higher or lower for different players 
for example, uh, Caleb Williams over under 300 passing yards. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props, very similar to the over-unders that we do each and every preview pod. You can put real money on the line. And yes, like I said, legal, live, states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. So I'm 13 and five handing these out. And they hot. don't have, I'm red hot, dude. Like mm-hmm. red hot. Um, actually, if Van Jefferson didn't have that touchdown at the end, I think I would have gotten that one as well. And I would have been 14 and four. That's too good. That's a little bit too good. That's getting mm-hmm. like, all right. Reading your own gonna... pre- you need some rat poison. You know, you're reading your own pre- press clippings a little bit. You got to take a step back. Yeah. Water's going to find its level and it's going to be very, <laughs> very drastic uh, because, yeah, your boy doesn't usually run that hot. So, as of this recording, there are no official ones up just yet for because we have we have Thursday night football. So I'm just going to give you a blind one, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and, and I'm going to take it for you for Thursday night football because we've got Niners and Seahawks. It would have mm-hmm. been Debo, but <sighs> Debo that that sprained ankle, nothing to play with, as Drake would say. Can't go with him there. But I'm I was not expecting that. That was good. <laughs> You didn't expect me to bust out some Drake during the middle of an ad read? What? Come no? on now. Yeah, I, I was I, I, I wasn't familiar with your game, as Shaq once said. Yes. I owe you an apology. All right, so we're automatically going to take the over. Whatever the over is on DK Metcalf, I'm going to blindly take it right now. Okay, mm-hmm. DK's, DK's been hot. We're going to also go with a certain Brock Purdy over for the passing yards, whatever it is, because when the dude beats Tom Brady like a drum, I think we just got to assume that Brock Purdy is taking over the world, even though um, I don't think many people outside of diehard college football fans could have told you a single thing about him up until like a week and a half ago, but Brock Purdy ride the train. It's hot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're going to get to 15 and five on that. Um, That's it. Underdog's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Matt. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Arkansas quarterback and current co-host on Hit That Line ESPN Arkansas. It is Matt Jones. Matt, uh, you joined the station about six weeks ago, which means that so far I've been on with you and the great Phil Elson on Mondays like six times, I think. Um, how are you liking the new gig so far? Man, this is pretty cool. Uh, it just just worked out into to a good situation. I was fortunate enough uh, years ago to do some radio, and and then uh, and then when this opportunity uh, came up, I couldn't uh, couldn't hesitate. It was uh, I'm I'm excited to be here, and and like you said, the great Phil Elson, man, he's a joy to work with every day. So it's uh it's it's going good. And and speaking of that, you know, it's uh. Last time I had this show, I think the Razorbacks went two years in a row and didn't win a conference game. So at least we're winning. We're winning now. So it's it's all good. Okay. So I wanted to ask about that because, you know, I, I think a, a lot of people maybe who are, are like, hey, like what, what's Matt Jones up to? If they're not necessarily, you know, locked into the Arkansas sports scene, they might have known, okay, you know, you had your show uh, with with the buzz a few years ago. But and you're not a guy that's really out there doing a ton of public appearances. You don't you're not one of these guys that like lives on Twitter or something like that. But, you know, besides that, what has your your last 10 years been like? Yeah, uh, well, I moved to Little Rock, uh, you know, after I got out of the the, the league and, and moved to got married, moved to Little Rock, got jobs. Uh, and then I guess about four years ago 
went through a divorce and just moved back up here and kind of just, like you said, man, I just like to, to chill out and talk to the same three people all the time and don't really do social media. And, uh, like my mom sent me a text the other day and said, yeah, I got your Facebook fin friend request. And I was like, mom, that's not me. You know, like who knows who's <laughs> saying that, that it's me. So it's, uh, no, I, I, uh, I enjoy the simple things and, and, uh, this radio show is definitely one of them. So for those who can't see, Matt's got a beard right now that he's been rocking since 2018. 2018, this, that's right. That thing is, dude, we were talking about that before we came on, man. Like that, that thing is for real. Like you, you just, look way different, way different you, than what you were, when you were playing. You should see my dad. So I, I, I started growing mine out in 2018. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I had to do something. And, and so I hadn't seen my dad in about six months and it's already better than mine. You know, you're just like, I got a, I got a good head start on you. And then he's got it. He's got it growing out too. So it's, uh, it's, but, but when I was 22, I don't have the hair like you got, man. When, when I was 22, it all started going off. I had to go somewhere else with it. Hey, I appreciate the compliment because I'm I'm 32 at this point. So yeah, we're we're doing what we can to try and you know, make work. I got the grays coming in a little bit down here, but I, I can't get it. I can't get the beard as long as I got the man. good patch right there. Yeah, yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Love it, love it. Well, um, two part question for you, and you've probably been asked a, a variation of this, but one, can you still run a four three seven 40 yard dash? And at age 39, can you still dunk? Well, I did dunk the other day. I, I, I played a little hoop game. So if I get loose, and I'm sore for three days afterwards. Uh, but uh, no, I had a, I, I went with the great Martin Rooney uh, Parisi Speed School when I was coming out of college and up there in New Jersey's and uh, New Jersey's in New Jersey and uh, trained with him. And he said, he said, once you go to the combine and whatever 40 you run, that's what you are for life. And so that was the joke. It was Matt Jones, four, three, seven for life, you know? So it was uh I couldn't tell you the last time I've been, you know, I'm on the golf course. So whatever, however far past the golf car to go, that's how fast we can go the 40 yard death. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's, let's go back to, to your career because extremely unique in so many different ways. You are a true two sports star in high school. You play basketball, football to start. Then you go all in with football ultimately in college. You're, you're this freak athlete because not only are you star football player, but I mean, six, six, you know, high school scoring record you run sprints on the track team i mean when you got recruited what were the those pitches like from all these different schools probably promising you a million different things well you know it wasn't this nil stuff uh my, my dad was a coach my dad played college ball uh my mom's a teacher and so just just being able to to have them guide me in that because i didn't know what was going on and i knew i wanted a chance to play quarterback uh i wanted a chance to play both sports and uh, Coach Nutt was uh, a guy that played both sports in college and uh, was going to give me that opportunity. Uh, I think Duke Duke recruited me as a free safety. Uh, Oklahoma was acting like a defensive end. Uh, Miami offered me as a tight end. They had Jeremy Shock, you know, that whole Kellen Winslow. Like, so you look where people were trying to pick fit me in. And, yeah, they could have they possibly could have worked and stuff. But I wanted the opportunity to play uh, football and play quarterback and play basketball. And so – uh, but my dad being a coach, we didn't really believe in offseason. It was football to basketball to baseball to track to back to foot. You know, like it just it went right in. If you're an athlete, you don't go to offseason. You just go to the next sport. And and I'd like to see kids get back into that. I don't know. Uh, the, the biggest misconception is these kids have to just focus on one sport in seventh grade or eighth grade. And it's like, man, there's 
there's nothing better than competing. So when you're going to the off season, you're just kind of going through the motions, but being able to go play another sport, I mean, you're in eighth grade. What, what are you talking about? You know, go play all the sports, man. They compete and, and all the little things do help you. Like you look at the basketball team, Anthony Black, he was a football player and you see his awareness and how cerebral he is. I mean, you can't gain competition. You just can't get any, any better than that. And I, I don't know. I just, that's just how I was raised. And and even at that age, we played both sides of the ball. You played safety, you played quarterback, you played running back, you played linebacker, you know? So it was, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I guess I'm a, more of a, a national league guy where, where uh, you shouldn't have a designated hitter anymore. You know, like if you got out there to play, man, let's go out there and play. Okay. So Duke, did they want you for basketball too? You're talking about the university of Arkansas? No, did Duke want you for for basketball as oh, well? I, I don't know. Kelvin Sampson was at uh, was at Oklahoma, and they were they were talking to me. Leonard Hamilton was at Miami when I'm trying. I don't think I could have played. Uh, my what's funny is my freshman year, I played a little quarterback and had some good games, but I actually got my first start on the basketball court under Nolan Richardson, uh, guarding Tayshon Prince, and let's just say it was advantage Tayshon. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, if you didn't go to Arkansas though, and, and I know you're an Arkansas guy, this worked out so well, your senior year of high school, you get to play quarterback after transferring in the middle of your career. If you didn't go to Arkansas, where, where do you think you would have ended up? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, uh, Chuck Long was the quarterback coach there at OU. And I really want, I, I would have probably went to OU being closed. Um, they had John Heibel there. I'm trying to think of some of the guys, but when, when you look back at, like, um, I, I guess OU would have been the – that would have been my second choice. Um, I, I mean, Miami would have been cool, but I think when I was 17, 18 years old, I was one of those kids that I didn't really want to go too far from home. About two, three hours would have been about as far as I wanted to go, yeah. Oklahoma – our Arkansas fans just probably threw up in their mouths here and you talk about Oklahoma like well, they that. They just won a national title, you know. So when you when, when I was in 2000 and, and, and relationships and, and Joe Ferguson was the quarterback coach there at Arkansas, then David Lee came in. So when you talk about relationships and these kids, you know, like 30% of them, I think, go to the school and that's like, hey, we're going to this school no matter who the coach is here. But a lot of these kids, is based on relationships and, and that's why you see so many people move, I guess. How impossible was it to play two sports when one of those sports involved being a starting quarterback in the SEC? Yeah, it was tough. It was definitely tough. David Lee, uh, quarterback coach, and and uh, and and then and Coach Nutt. And in my first year, I was going to red shirt and uh, ended up playing. And so when you had Tavares Jackson, you had Ryan Sorhan, you had Zach Clark. You look at that quarterback room. Tavares played in the NFL for years. Sorhan was in camp. Uh, for, for a little bit uh, Zach Clark was like third in division two Heisman trophy or something you know like you look at all the talent in there so I understand the points but being I think there's something to be said when you're 18 19 years old you don't really you just want to go play like it was just it was so natural to me to to go to basketball and go play right away instead of you know and then it, instead of not I don't know I I feel like I would have been lost if I wouldn't have been able to go play so I, I was very fortunate that they let me go do that it's so difficult. And this, a lot of Arkansas fans saw the Connor Nolan situation and they're grateful that he, you know, decides to stop playing quarterback and just decides I'm going to focus on baseball. And he becomes, in my opinion, an Arkansas legend by choosing that sport. But you kind of have to go through it your freshman year sometimes and realize, oh, this is what it's demand. This is like what those demands really look like. Yeah. But I'm yeah. sure there's always this what if for you. What do you think your basketball career would have looked like if you had just decided I'm going to stick strictly to basketball? 
Man, I don't know. That's that's interesting. I would uh, you had a Darren Swanson who went to Oakland and, and coached up there, and, and when I got done, I went up there and hung out with him for a week and kind of worked out and thought about going overseas and stuff. But I don't know. I was just getting older. Um, I don't know if I could have played in the in the NBA, but I definitely could have went overseas and made a living if I would have wanted to do that. I mean, that was just uh, uh, it just I don't know. It's just. I'm not, I don't really look back at it that way. I'm very fortunate to, to be able to play in the NFL and have the career that I had. Uh, and, and, but yeah, to look back at it, basketball was definitely something that I really liked to do. I really enjoyed it. I think obviously you made the right choice. There's no real debate about that. I mean, getting to become an all-time great at Arkansas, becoming a first-round pick, becoming you know such a celebrated player. But why did you, over the course of your football career, decide that you loved overtime so much? That's funny. Uh, man, I don't, I, that was wild, huh? It's, uh, there's something about kind of that backyard feel to it being a Thanksgiving day, everybody getting out there and you just kind of get, get going and, and, uh, you feel like you could play forever. Yeah. Um, man, that's wild to have a seven overtime game, uh, my freshman year, six overtime game, my sophomore year, seven overtime game, my junior year, and then a double overtime. I think my senior year, that might be the most overtimes ever. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Coach Nutt was just – he was really good at that. I mean, that it's, it's kind of got a basketball feel, kind of got a feel to it where we felt like you give us the ball on the 25-yard 25, 25 yard line and put us in four-down territory, we can score on everybody. And when you have players like DeCorey Birmingham and Sean Andrews and Jason Peters and Fred Tau. I mean, just you look down the uh, the roster. We had a lot of track guys. Speaking of two-sport athletes, uh, Eddie Jackson, Ahmaud Carroll, Lawrence Richardson, guys that uh, – did two sports, All-American, Jermaine Petty. I mean, you just – the list goes on and on of all the players. But Coach Nutt did a good – we always just felt like we were going to win. We get it to overtime, we were going to win. We just always felt that way. You always had this calm demeanor on the sidelines. Everybody throws that around for quarterbacks. And it's like, all right, you know what? Like, I don't really know how much that actually matters with certain guys, and that's just kind of their public image. That's not actually who they are in these moments. But with you, that was clearly the case. Like, nothing was ever truly going to phase you. And it speaks to the offense that you ran, obviously, because if you were this skittish guy, you wouldn't be able to to have that patience to be able to execute the option and do all these things. You needed to kind of have that sense of calm, be comfortable with getting hit, all these different things. You also have some of the longest strides that I've ever seen. I, <laughs> like your stride is like you, when people say run like a deer, they should just turn on the film of you and just watch these, these moves that you like, I'd watch defensive backs try and track you down and they would take like three steps to just to get to, to one of yours. Like where, where did you feel like you were truly in your element playing football? Well, yeah, that's that, you know, my dad being a football coach and, and I, the babies, my babysitter from age two was the sideline, you know, it was football practice, whatever. We were just, just going with pops forever. Uh, and, and one of the things that, and we were talking about this earlier, one of the things that my dad stressed to me, uh, and, and if you were a skill position on his football team and you wanted to touch the ball, you ran track, there wasn't anything. So if you thought you were a running back or a receiver, a quarterback or whatever, and you wanted to touch the ball during football season, and you didn't run track, you were going to have your hand in the dirt. You know, you were going to do something else. And so it's, it's, it really is. I, I'd show up to, to Oklahoma State camp when Bob Simmons was there, and we're getting ready to run 40s. And I was a junior in high school, and, and they're like, uh, you know, matching up, who do you want to run with? And, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll run with whoever. And they're like, well, what do you run? You know, and I was like, I run a 4-4. And they kind of look at me like, whatever, you know. I'm, but I, I guess I was probably 6'5", 165 pounds or something as a junior. 
high school. And sure enough, I ran 140 and Bob Simmons, he coached him and was like, Hey, come here, Jones. He goes, you don't have to run again. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what? So I, I, I was just blessed. I, I don't know, but it just, just working out. I think my, my parents and my dad being a coach and always kind of going through it, uh, that, that really helped. I think a lot. I thought you were going to say you were most comfortable on the football field when you were throwing the horns down as you're waltzing in against Texas. <laughs> you did that on purpose, right? Dude, that was, uh, that was, I think there might be some photocopy in that, but that was, uh, that was one of the coolest games ever. Like, uh, speaking, and then the next year we lost, but there's a couple games each year and maybe other teams have more games like this, but at Arkansas, we had a couple games each year where from the moment the very first whistle blew, we knew we were the better team and we just won that. Like there was never in doubt. And that was one of those games and you didn't even know it before, you know, cause they were number three in the country. It's Texas. It's, you know, you're like, Oh, and so we were really focused on that game and just everybody played just a great, I mean, George Wilson made plays, Cedric Cobbs, Mark Pierce, man, Richard Smith defense played lights out. That was, that was really a fun game. Is it is it fun for you to look back on on those moments, those big rivalry type games, and realize that you were in such a unique spot? I think with with the team and with the surroundings that you had to feel like there's nobody physically on the field that can do everything that I can. Like I I think that's such a psychological advantage to go into a game and realize if I'm at my best today. I can be, I can navigate these waters. I can figure out a way to be able to get my my team from point A to point B. That had to just creep into your psyche going into these, and that's probably speaks to why you were so calm, seemingly all the time on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Um, you know, Coach Coach Roy Roy Wiki, he coached Tony Romo at uh, Northern Illinois, and and one of the things he said was, "It's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems." So try to try to stay even kill to your point that no matter if I wasn't really a vocal leader, not that you, there's a time and place to do it, but I think everybody has to to be true to themselves and, and be who you are. And because if you're not, people will see through that. And and so as a quarterback, the nature of it is you, you are the leader, even if you don't want to be or not. And so it just, if you want to be a loud guy, rah, rah guy, or if you want to lead by example, and that's what I always try to do was just stay, don't don't get too high don't get too low lead by example be calm let everybody know and and you i mean the, the coolest thing as a quarterback is yeah you do get to touch the ball every play so usually when you lose when you when the team loses you could have done things to to help the team win and and then when you win sometimes you get too much credit but uh wouldn't have changed it for anything yeah what were the receiver reps like for you uh, at Arkansas? Just like even, you know, it's it's one thing to get those reps in a game. Obviously, I know that, you know, you got a couple of catches your freshman year and they do a little bit of experimenting. But over the course of your career, just even messing around in practice, what was that experimentation process like? So so when I got there, uh, I sound like Uncle Rico from Napoleon right now, but I could throw a football a quarter mile. You know, So when I got yeah. there, I could I could throw a football 73 yards. And by the time I left, I could throw at 55 because I had tore my labrum. So I had to, it was just kind of, I was lucky that I was blessed to be able to do that. I, I didn't do a whole lot of receiver reps, but that was the reason why that uh, it's kind of like the Drew Brees deal. It was kind of the reason why I couldn't, uh, couldn't continue quarterback. And, you know, if I wouldn't have been blessed with a, a four, four and was blessed at four, nine, then, you know, maybe I would have had surgery and try to do something, do something else. Uh, but, but that was, that was kind of it. 
Okay, so the pre-draft process, take me back to when the receiver change happened and what kind of prompted you to go all in with the move? Well, that, that's a that's a good good question. So my junior year, I actually thought about leaving to go to the to the draft because my thing is I'm six six four three. There's never been a six six four three guy in the NFL. And so that was the whole when when we, you know when these kids go get information, it's like what what am I what do I need to do? And the information was if you're not going to play receiver in college, all you're going to do is show up to the combine and run a 40 and do the stuff. And if you do well, we're going to take it. So it's like, I could have left a year early if I, that was kind of the, when you look at like running backs or you look at certain players, like if, if, if you, I mean, if your time's right to go, your time's right to go. Now I wasn't ready to play quarterback, but that was all it was. Uh, just, just getting up there and working on my 40. And then uh, coach Del Rio was, was awesome because it was, he's a former player and he said, you know, we're not going to look at what you can't do. We're going to look at what you can do and let's get out there and work on it and, and take it from there and try to add something each, each year. And so he, uh, it was, it was a, it was a hard, hard thing to do, but it was a great experience. Did you know that you were about to run the four through seven at, at the combine? Cause you talk about running that, running that in high school and running that, that at camps and stuff like that. But how did, how did cha- things change for you in terms of how you were being talked about within those NFL circles after that happened at the combine? Yeah. I don't know if people thought a tight end or, or what they thought. Um, I don't know if people, anybody thought I'd run that. Uh, when, when I was training uh, in my senior year, my whole year, I had uh, hamstring issues. So I couldn't really run my whole senior year, but we were training up there and at, at the the Parisi Speed School and and uh, we we're doing our reps and and I told uh, I told boss man I told Martin I said man if I run a four four when then I'm done we're we're done working out today like you know we just have to do something else and he goes yeah okay because we had he hadn't timed it yet we hadn't timed yet and so this is about their third or fourth fifth week up there and so I go up there in first one and uh, run it and he just kind of this that was like all right man so it was I don't know it's just I, I've been blessed and and we worked on a lot of 20s there a lot of a lot of you know vertical jumps and explosion stuff and and so it was uh it was good give me a story from uh from draft night that you remember man it was crowded I know that it was uh, I wanted to go play golf and it was a weird thing because we didn't know where I was going to get drafted the first or second round and uh it was uh, it was crowded, but it was it was it was cool because the, you know my family was there and and you get to you get to be around everybody. Um, but it I, I don't know it was it, it kind of happened it kind of happened fast because I knew I wasn't going to be a top ten pick, but my agent said you know right around maybe pick fifteen or sixteen is when you need to start paying attention, and then it was twenty one. So really it didn't last but an hour and a half because you know doing whatever, but. Uh, it's kind of like your wedding day. It's just all blurry. You know, it's like, you kind of, kind of remember it. You hear stories and you go like, yeah, it was cool. But it was, uh, you know, that next morning I was on a, a flight at five 30 and, you know, headed, you know, then it starts. And, uh, as soon as it starts, you know, you don't get a break as a rookie players don't realize that you don't get a break until the season's over. And so, uh, it, it, it started and it, it was awesome. It's still one of the wilder, wilder things to kind of process, but it also just speaks to to who you were and talking about like this is and people need to remember like this is also pre Calvin Johnson, if I'm not mistaken, like you were supposed to be from a physical standpoint, a, a unicorn, you were a total football unicorn at this point, which is why the Jaguars decided, hey, we don't care that he's only got four career catches in college, we think that we can make him a great receiver and to go, what would you go like four picks ahead of Aaron Rodgers at the time, which is just a, yeah, I think he went, yeah, somebody got fired for that. Didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Man. 
I mean, so because you're you're there watching that in you're you were at home, correct? You weren't in New York. For yeah, the draft. yeah, I was at home. So when that when that happens and this and this becomes real, what was your confidence level as a guy who's just always kind of figured things out, no matter where you've been, what school you've been at, what sport you've been playing, what position you've been playing? What was your confidence level like that you were going to be able to live up to those first round expectations? Yeah, you know, Byron Leftwich was the first one to call me. I mean, Coach Del Rio called, Byron called. Um, I, I've just always been confident in just being an athlete, uh, just eye-hand coordination, we'll roll whatever ball you want out there. If it's baseball, basketball, football, whatever, I just I, – I don't know. It's just natural to me. I, I don't think I ever was arrogant or anything like that. I, I always understood it, but it just uh, – I enjoyed it. I, it's just, you know, the – the the Matt Damon line when it when he's like no man I I when I, when I see uh the, the, I just see woods and chopsticks but when I see a math problem I just play it's like I mean I just play man I don't know I was just all just it's in my blood this I think you look at some of the why people wonder why America's not good at soccer it's like well these kids do this from from age zero to 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 whenever and that was how my life was man as soon as I started I was on the sideline it's just in my blood I think. What do people not know about your time in Jacksonville besides the fact that you actually performed a lot better than some people probably realized on that rookie contract? Yeah, I was a, a slot receiver my first year, and you had Jimmy Smith and Reggie Williams, and then uh, I, then I had to move outside after that. And and if you could have had it, that slot being that slot guy is kind of what the new HVAC was. So that would have probably that would have probably been good. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, there was there was good people. Byron Leftwich, David Gerard, Fred Taylor, just just some of the people you're around, uh, just the the memories you have, and and uh, that's the stuff you miss the most is just being around your buddies and stuff. Yeah. I'll let you go, let kind you go of uh, any way that you want with this because you've had to answer a variation of this question for the last ten plus years of your life, but. Um, the substance issues that, that happened in your, you know, the, the latter part of your, your rookie contract, when did that start to impact your life? That was just a, a mistake I made when I was young. That was not a thing that was reoccurring. It's just, it happened and it happened, you know, you move on. Is that something <laughs> where like the timing of it magnifies it, right? And it's, it becomes a thing because everybody's kind of wanting, cause you had that great, year three i think it was right where all of a sudden you're like hey like this is the jags number one receiver he's getting ready to get paid and then like it kind of gets magnified in this way but did you feel like all right i'm still going to be good i'm still going to be able to figure this thing out this is a blip in the radar kind of where was your mindset then and how did you think that that was you know communicated with you in the front office oh i mean they they all had my back i mean i, I played the next year um I don't know. I, it, it wasn't an issue because it wasn't a problem. It wasn't like a thing that's habitual. It was like, Hey, I did it. And it's like, Oh, you're 27 years old and you did it. It's like, it wasn't a, it's never been an issue. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, like, I think it's one of those things too, where, you know, people, people connect dots all the time. That's what we do. Like people say like, Oh, this happened. And therefore that means like, that's why it didn't work out in the NFL. But like, Ultimately, when you kind of look back and you, and you say, okay, you know, these things happen and I was, I was really figuring some things out, what could have been maybe different for, for you to have that 10, 15 year career? Was there like, Hey, I, if I had played quarterback or played a position that I was, that I was comfortable in, like what could have kind of set the stage for you to have the, the career that you had dreamt about? 
Oh, I, I don't know that that I dreamed a, a certain way or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, quarterback would have been different. I, I, it's hard to – receivers, their shelf life's not as long. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I've never looked at it that way. I've, I've, uh, I've been blessed, and I'm very fortunate. Man, I have – I have the best life. I think I don't know anybody who has a better life than I do. Man, life is life has always been good. Uh, I've never I've never thought. I mean, man, life's cool, man. I I don't know. Like everything's everything's good. Tell me tell me about your about your life now and and what it's like watching football and, and being able to talk about it and being able to to kind of break down some of these guys and have thoughts about KJ. You know what it's like to be, you know, a, a mobile quarterback at Arkansas and what that means and how, you know, the Razorback faithful can kind of rally around you. Like what, what's it like for you to kind of step back and have this role now where that is your job and to be able to come on air and talk about these guys? Like how is, how has that kind of changed just your overall perspective on everything? Well, I've always, you know, being being a coach's son, I've always uh, thought I was decent at uh, recognizing talent and not just the top talent that everybody can see. It's easy to see, hey, man, that guy can play. But but getting all the other guys that can play, hey, man, this guy can go, this guy, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever he's good at. Uh, and that's just another thing that's, that seems natural. But, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching the Hogs play. Uh, and, and this, it's exciting, especially this basketball team, man, that when they're, they're fun to watch and you see the talent coming in and it's, uh, it's a, it's a great time to be a Razorback fan right now. Do you, uh, do you do rec league sports? Because with, with the beer that you got right now, you can, I mean, you're six, six, so you probably couldn't really be incognito, but like you show up at some of these leagues and maybe like some guy, like you got the hat on, like you got right now and you could just show up there and some guys would probably be looking around like, ah, oh, who's this guy? Like, yeah, he's really tall or something like that, but you could just be, you could just school, you know, a bunch of local guys in your area. Have you ever done anything like that? Man, when I was younger, I did. Uh, I'm just too, I'm just too old, man. I'm 40. I, uh, I don't really full court basketball. I mean, I go out and play horse and play 21 or something. Like, like I said the other day, played a little three on three half court, but I, uh, I don't know. I'd rather go to the golf course, I guess. What are we shooting these days? Man, we scrambled nine yesterday. Me and my buddy, we had three birdies and one bogey. We just turned the music up loud and drink a beer, you know, and, and, and just have a good time. Yeah. I love that. I love that guys do that now, like with the music stuff. Like whenever I go with my buddies, that's always a common thing. Like, yeah, you're going to have music on in the background. Like that's, I love that that's become normal. If you don't like it, get in a different group. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Because it's it's not going to carry. We're not course records. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we're not, we're not playing for our handicap or anything like that. Nobody's going to hear it on the, as long as it's not like too, too loud. Like nobody's going to hear it on like the, the next hole or something like that. Like just more relaxed. I'm all for that. A hundred percent. Um, okay, Matt, this has been great. I, I just want to close with some rapid fire. Just kind of first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Cool. All right. Um, how many Pro Bowls would you have made, not as a quarterback or a receiver, but as a running back? Oh, man, I don't know. I'd have been maybe a DN. If I'd have, if I'd have got to about 270 or something and, and could have been a rush in or something. Uh, running back, man, I don't know. I don't think I'd have made it. I mean, I've seen those. I do. Fred Taylor and and Maurice being around those running backs, man, they're a different, they're a different breed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I always think that that you that you wouldn't have never put in that spot just because you were six six. And it's like, Ooh. oh, you could, but like Derrick Henry exists, so I don't know. Just yeah, something yeah. To think about. Um, is KJ on his way to becoming the best quarterback in Arkansas history? 
No, no doubt about it. He'll have all the records. Uh, he's uh, being around. I've been around him once and just being around him a little bit. It's it's uh, you're impressed with the young man. And uh, the, the thing that impresses me is the all the, the teammates around him, that he's the clear leader out there. And, and uh, he's he's fun to watch. He has some things to work on, but I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be an all conference, uh, all American type guy this year. Better feeling dunking on a dude or trucking someone en route to the end zone? Mm, trying to think. Man, I, Duncan's fun. Uh, yeah, probably Duncan, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why did you dye your mustache black that one time in Jacksonville? Because it was sick, man. It was like a, it's a blessing and a curse, man. When you're this good looking, it's just tough, man. You got you to gotta <laughs> stick and move. You, because you, you know, like we have the same kind of the same color facial hair. It's like it's got that like ginger to it, but like there's just like the one picture where it's just black. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. That, that that was that was a little bit of like you didn't like lose a bet or something, did you? No, I just did it just to do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one for you. What do you want your next uh, your next five years to look like besides maybe uh, lowering your handicap, being able to to have a an improved golf game? Man, just you know, you're, I'm healthy. My knees, my knees work. My back works. My both my parents are alive and healthy. You know, my family's good. There's uh, life is good, man. Life, life's been good for a while, and uh, hopefully, to continue to be good. Matt, really appreciate the time, man. Uh, wish you the best, best of luck with this next chapter, and uh, yeah, we'll talk on Monday. All right, thanks, dude. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out baby announcements. Um, Pretty topical. Pretty mm -hmm. topical. Why that. is that, Connor? Uh, yeah, so if you didn't see on social media, little announcement from your boy here, Lauren and I are having a baby girl. Let's go. I told Will about a month ago, and that was the exact same reaction. <laughs> the same exact thing. Well, um, it's been one of those things too, dude. That, like you said, I knew I got like the insider scoop. So I was just like, oh, I can't talk about this in the pod. I can't make jokes about it. So I'm really excited. It's like out there. We could, it could be part of our lives now. Will was so quiet about it. He literally didn't even tell his girlfriend about it, which is yes. amazing. I mean, I, I when we were, when we were out there last week, and I realized Brittany didn't know. And, and telling her, I was like, oh, wow, Will kept this a secret for like a month. Look at him. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Well, it's crazy, man. Like, I don't want to alienate anybody, but none of my really close friends have kids. And so, like, I've seen people, you know, in my family and stuff like that have kids, and I'm happy for them. But you're like the first person really with me. It's like a figuring it out thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, like someone actually like close to me that is in my friend group that is having a kid. And I'm like right there excited for him. It's super cool, man. Yeah, it's look, it, it's going to be and I appreciate your your kind words and, and to all those who have reached out and sent well wishes. It, it is greatly appreciated. Um, yeah, it, it is kind of crazy because we don't have, we have friends down here who have kids, but they live a little bit further away. So we mm -hmm. don't like they, you know, we'll see them every couple months or something like that. So we don't deal with it on an everyday basis. My mm -hmm. brother doesn't have kids yet. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily surrounded by it. We, we have, you know, my, um, uh, my sister-in-law, they just, they just had their first kid. They live in Indianapolis. So we, we mm -hmm. don't necessarily get that regular exposure to it. So this will be a new experience for all of us. Um, and yeah, we, we found out back in a little peel behind the onion here. We found out back in mid September 
And uh, we want to keep it a little bit close to the vest. Didn't even tell our parents or siblings or extremely close friends until about a month after. I think we waited till about mid-October. And that's extremely difficult. <laughs> it is. It's mm-hmm. really hard. And for those of you uh, with kids that you know all too well about how difficult it is to have this massive secret and having something that's on your mind constantly, but not really being able to talk about it, or you can't really vent to to other people. And it mm-hmm. kind of forces you to, to just rely on each other. And so even when we announced it to our family, my mom, upon hearing that her first grandchild was coming, she wanted to just shout it from the mountaintops. She was, man, I, that was, and to her credit, she said it was one of the hardest things that she that she's had to do was keep it secret. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. mom, life life couldn't be that difficult if that's one of the hardest things you've had to do. Um, I love it, man. That's funny. Yeah, but like I get it. I totally get it. It's it's really difficult when you get a piece of news like that not to want to just slip it into conversation and all that stuff. So, and my mom is one of twelve kids. My dad was one of eight. So this isn't a casual situation with announcing it. It's not like you're just telling three or four people or something like that. It's like, oh, you have an aunt and an uncle and they can find out. It's you better be prepared for that onslaught of texts. <laughs> it's coming, man. Like they call Hayes Fawcett, get you a graphic. Oh yeah, seriously. Just what, because if you're not mentally prepared for that, then forget about it. And we had to kind of you know, you, you get a little bit mentally prepared. There's definitely something that that goes into that. And we decided nothing on social media until well after the blood tests, after, you know, first trimester likelihood of miscarriages that, that decreases. And about a month ago, Lauren got her blood work back. And that's when you know, that's when you can find out the sex of the baby, which I didn't realize mm-hmm. that early. That's crazy, crazy. I was, I always thought, oh, you'll find out month six, month seven or something like that month three, essentially like end of the first trimester, we basically had the option to find out. And we wanted to know just because look, and everybody has, everybody's different about that. And I don't hate on anybody that that wants to be surprised, but we kind of just came to the conclusion, the overwhelming process of giving birth to a child is kind of stressful enough and not to have any more surprises. Yeah. Yeah. You know, didn't, didn't necessarily want to be continuing to, to figure new things out then. And we just like knowing information. <laughs> that's that's the way that we're wired. So mm-hmm. um, we, we took away that that mystery. They sent us a video um, that we could watch and find out the sex of the baby. And we decided instead of a gender reveal where we throw a party, we do the whole thing, that we we're going to do something a little bit more intimate because, like I said, we have some friends down here, but they live a little bit further away. And mm-hmm. our closest friends and family members live back in the Midwest. So we found out on a Monday afternoon about a month ago that the blood work was in and we call up our favorite ice cream place in Orlando. Will, have you ever been to Kelly's? Mm-hmm. Kelly's good. It's down by, for those who know the area, it's right right by East End Market, okay. which home of Gideon's, the world's best cookie. Real ones now. And so our plan was to not watch the video, but have the high schooler working behind the counter scooping ice cream, watch the video. And then if it's a girl, we were, they, they were going to put the, the cake batter flavor in, in a, in a paper bag. And if it was a boy, it was going to be the cookie monster one. So it's blue or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so she watches it on mute 
And she's the only one that knows this. We don't even know yet. She puts the, the cake in the paper bag. We drive it home. We did two different videos. The first one was like the real gender reveal where we take it out of the bag, out of the paper bag. And because we know what the cake looks like before cutting into it, mm-hmm. we kind of know which one it is. And so like Lauren, you know, closed her eyes, takes the cake out of the bag, turned around, saw it. But because our family probably wouldn't be able to recognize what the cake batter flavor was versus the cookie monster one from the outside, we're like, okay, so we got to do two videos. We cut into it for the second one and, mm-hmm. you know, did a, did a little, maybe a little bit of acting, but still, I mean, the moment's still pretty, pretty real. So nothing, nothing crazy with the gender reveal or anything like that. But well, I love that too, because that's perfect for y'all, because it's one of those things where it's like social media has kind of like ruined some things. And that's one of them where it's like, it's like a one-upsmanship thing. And it's like, but you can't then weigh that and be like, I don't want to have fun with this because it's still your moment. So it's like, yeah, yeah, gotta be right in the middle. I think you guys nailed that. Like that, that works for you guys for sure. Yeah. It's, you know, we want to eat cake. We want an excuse to eat cake. That's fire. (laughs) I'm still laughing at what y'all's Hayes Fawcett potential graphic would be for a baby announcement. Like it would just be you holding a bowling ball and her like sitting there holding her belly. But like you guys look it off out of the distance with like palm trees in the background. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Hey, if if that's your thing, by all means, whatever, we're, we're probably going to have the the professional photos taken at Mm -hmm. some point during this process, but just kind of thought, all right, let's, let's do something a little bit little bit more intimate something that's a little bit more us i don't really think that was us when we did our engagement photos if for the, for those of you who have done engagement photos unless you're a professional model there's no way you didn't feel awkward during those those mm-hmm. are man and you've been on the other side of those with you know taking photos videos and doing shoots and stuff like that it's mm-hmm. so i i feel like it's i i'm not myself and it's it's like so uncomfortable in those moments to me that's like those are the situations I try and avoid, which that's a weird thing to say as I'm talking on a podcast with literally a microphone in front of me. Well, but the big still. secret, right, is the people behind the camera are sometimes the worst in front of it. And so if you're with a photographer, it's just like, oh, this is easy. I promise you their photos probably took forever because I am bad at taking photos like of myself. And they don't. it's sometimes they don't really tell you what to do. Right. Know? Should I be doing this with my face? And, and they're trying to get you natural. And that's whole, the whole point of it. But I don't know. I, I And our photographer was great. I mean, she yeah. was awesome for our wedding but it was one of those things where i feel like no matter who the photographer was it could be the world's best photographer i'm still going to feel kind of out of my element so yeah Mm -hmm. much more in my element eating cake eating ice cream cake yeah of course why wouldn't we so yeah we uh we did that whole thing like about a month ago and then made the the public announcement on social media on sunday yeah where we just kind of you know, decided, all right, now it's time to be able to, to kind of tell, tell the world. It's one of those things too, where you kind of hold your breath a little bit. You're like, ah, dude, are there people that I should have told that I didn't yet mm-hmm. or something like that? You always kind of worry about potential pushback with that. So yeah. Um, little announcement, just a little life update. I promise I'm not going to let this dominate all of our conversations and it's not going to be every single figuring out is some parenting subject or something like that. Cause I realize a lot of people listening to this, yourself included, not at that stage in life yet. I wasn't at that stage in life for a very long time. So I'm not going to ice try and, you know, isolate people by, by talking about that, but it, my life's changing in a pretty significant way. And yeah, we'll have some conversations about it. That's the cool thing too, right? Is like, I'm kind of on the younger spectrum, even with our listeners and everything. So you're a little bit older than me. So I get to see you kind of test drive some stuff, figure some stuff out. I can kind of take lessons for you. I'm an only child. I never had an older brother. You know what I'm saying? Then there are people like Jay Woody who are like 
pro parents that are older than both of us that get it. So yeah, it's really cool to just watch the whole cycle of this. Cause it's like, yeah, if you wanted to put in the podcast group, Hey, what's the best type of diapers? You get 30 comments of people that are like, I've been trying this out for 20 years, dog. I got you. Right. Yeah. I, I have a, a play. People say that's why people love next door so much is they mm-hmm. just have a forum of people that literally live in their neighborhood and kind of can relate to all these different issues. I get a bunch of different outlets in which I could just workshop a ton of ideas. Oh. Hey, mm-hmm. is, is it normal to, to just kind of let your kid wander aimlessly when you go to the park and just kind of turn your back on them? Like, is, is that like a normal thing? Do people do that? Slides are safe now, right? I don't have to, whatever. They, the slide, they would get sued if, if, if it wasn't really safe. I don't have to pay attention to that stuff, dude. I, I promise <laughs> I'll do my research. I'll, I'll figure out what slides are. So right. don't worry about that. But yeah, Lauren's due end of May. So we'll have to adjust uh, the podcast schedule for for a little bit of that. Definitely going to be taking some time off, uh, of course. But yeah, just wanted to kind of let people know. And like I said before, really appreciate everybody that that reached out. And uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of kind words. Tough to kind of get back to to all the people um, who were who who reached out and, and said something. But yeah, wanted to to pass along that information. Oh, and one last thing: if you said anything mean about me based on my Heisman ballot, remember that you are now talking to a future father. So that's illegal. Just make your baby your Abby. It's like, if you're being mean to me, this is who you're being mean to. <laughs> yes. The cutest possible picture in the world. Like, come on. Come on. You're going you're gonna to tell it to, you're going to tell it to her. All right. You're going to tell her that her dad. <laughs> I read my tweets directly to my baby. As soon as they come through, no filter, whatever you say, they're going they're to do yours. Yeah. She's, she's going to have an entire life to realize that her dad is a total idiot. She doesn't need you you know, Rick from, from, from Tupelo telling, telling her dad that he's really dumb. By the way, if there's a Rick from Tupelo listening, send me a message. Yeah. (laughs) That's fire. Did not mean to single you out. I promise I didn't have you in mind. Like I do when I bring up my certain reference, when, whenever I bring up the, the reference of somebody that tries to one up people, Mm -hmm. it's all, it's always, uh, the kid in my class, Andrew, who did that throughout elementary school, throughout middle school, who just was a one upping machine. And you just could not get a word in edgewise without him trying to come over the top of you. So that one's very specific. And if he's listening, well, I mean, he's going to probably try and one up with a podcast of his own or something like that. But yeah, that one's a little bit more personal for me. Um, Okay. Facebook group. We have a few things related to baby announcements. I asked, how long did you wait to announce on social media? Um, compared to announcing to family and close friends. Uh, what do you think is cringe about baby announcements? Photo shoots, yeah or nah? And then any baby announcement horror stories that you have seen or experienced, which I haven't experienced horror stories with the Gordon the, and the Gordon Hayward thing. For those who haven't seen that, get on the Google machine. Mm-hmm. Gender reveal versus baby announcement, a little different, but that's mm-hmm. probably the closest thing to a horror story that you could say falls under that umbrella of going very, very viral for having yet another daughter. What was that? His fourth daughter or something like that. <laughs> He's a traditional man. <laughs> yeah. Daddy's always excited. By the way, we were rooting for a daughter. Just going to say that. Just going to mm-hmm. throw it out there. I, I don't I think that that's going to offend anybody to say that, but as somebody who grew up with one brother and never experienced that element of life, I was, you know, hopeful that we would be able to, to get to go down this road. So, okay. Saturday down South podcast, Facebook group, we've got some great responses here and thank you to everybody. Like I said, who sent kind, sent kind messages um, like Dave Cozart, who said, don't have anything to add to this post, but want to say congrats, Connor, Um, James O'Quinn. Thank you to you as well. Let's start with this one from Lauren Jeffords. 
Lawrence says, we waited until all of our closest friends and family knew before announcing. We did a video announcement on social media. Cringiest I've seen is when it's something that is super wasteful. Uh, gender reveal with a fire truck and the hose, and they just squirt water and it turns a color. It was so much water. That or fireworks that catches something on fire. Mm-hmm. How much water is wasted in a gender reveal? Do you have to oh, disclose man. that before going in? I feel like the IRS would be asking questions if they saw some of these. It's like, how did you afford this, actually? Yeah, this this seems extravagant. You spent $500 to figure out the sex of the baby mm-hmm. on fireworks? You, you could have even... simply bought two cakes. Think about that. <laughs> That's, I mean, two cakes, like 50 bucks, 60 bucks, yeah. something like that. And you get cake, fireworks. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> That's that's not gratification that's lasting you for a full week. Mm-hmm. But think about that. Like if you're doing something that's very, very over the top and you put all of those resources into it, which again, like I'm not crapping on that idea. I've been to gender reveals. It's really, it's really exciting going into it, especially when you don't have any sort of stake in it or anything <laughs> like that. It. It's like okay, betting on a random game. It's like, yeah. I, I could go either way on this one, honestly. I go to gender reveals and I tell myself, this is why people get addicted to gambling. I get it. I understand it. But what I think is, is the, the tough part. If you're, if you're going over the top, big time gender reveal, you got the fire hose involved. You better not blow that secret. Otherwise mm-hmm. that's going to, that anticipation is not going to be there. And you're going to look back on that thinking, I spent all this money on these fireworks and I already knew it was going to be a girl two weeks ahead of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was fun to have that party and to celebrate that sort of way. But I, I think if you're going to make that investment, you also need to make sure you make the self-investment of not spoiling it for yourself. And that's hard to do. It's really hard to mm-hmm. do, man. Gosh, we lasted Especially- like four hours. I would like to rule out the ones that involve the dad doing something athletic. We've even seen Kirk Cousins get lemon yep. booty in this situation where he like missed the target with a throw. Anytime you have a dad like hitting a pinata or like shooting a three or something, the video is always cringe because once you miss the first one, it's like, uh-oh, now how long are we going to be here? Dog? Yeah, can't have that. No, a lot yeah. of pressure on that moment too. A lot of, a lot of mm-hmm. expectations for dad to to show that that he can actually come up clutch in this moment wherein you you also in addition to having people there family members loved ones you know that video is getting out there no matter what you have to mm-hmm. share that video it's not like you can do another take of that either it, it's getting out no matter what and that's why i think the gordon hayward video saw the light of day because the, mm-hmm. they had to put it out there they had on to put media. it out that's the thing there's only one of these people were like how could you put that out there on social media it's like well unless you were willing to recreate it which i guess we technically did that but it's on a diff- much different scale mm-hmm. then i don't know you're you're heavily invested you better nail it if you're going over the top on that one Okay, let's go to this one from Derek Walden. Derek says, congrats. Thank you, Derek. Uh, We were on vacation and met some friends that live in Charleston. We had just found out the day before we left that she was pregnant. Since we were spending time with them fishing and on the beach, they kind of figured it out when she kept turning down alcohol. Yep, that's giveaway. Told the parents and close friends around eight weeks and announced it at 10 weeks. Any and all gender reveals are cringe. Sorry, not sorry. I said what I said. We haven't done any photo shoots. We'll probably just do a newborn shoot after she's born. Uh, due in February. He's due in February. Wow, that's very, very soon. Uh, not really an announcement horror story, but we wanted uh, the dogs, Son- um, Sony and Herschel. Just going to guess where they got their names from. Just a slight <laughs> guess. Stetson will be the next. Well, actually, you know what? It probably makes more sense to continue with Georgia running backs there. So that doesn't really make as much sense, but you get it. Uh, they were, 
Yeah, Chubb. Chubb's a great dog name. <laughs> little chonked up. Wow, that bulldog named Chubb would be fire. Yeah, you'd wow. be like, wait, you didn't. You named your bulldog Chubb and not Ugga. Yeah, I, that makes sense. That makes plenty of sense. You don't have to name a bulldog Ugga just because you're a Georgia fan and that's the dog that you chose. Nothing right. wrong with that. Chubb's a great name. Um, and then also Derek says, not really an announcement horror story. Um, but one of the dogs in on the announcement, they refused to cooperate. It took about 30 minutes to get a halfway decent shot. The bandanas she brought were, uh, were the wrong color. So, uh, when they came in, we had to, they had to do like a Photoshop thing with, with the bandanas. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Again, you got to nail it. You're going to make an investment. Got to Got to make sure that that's done. Right. That's an adorable picture. It's a very adorable picture. Use pets. Use pets and gender and, and baby announcements. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing whatsoever, my opinion. Yeah, anytime I see a dog in the Facebook group like comments, I'm just like, dog, uh, which I'm sure other people did too. And hey, to your credit, I'm a person who works in Photoshop all day for my day job. And I didn't notice this was Photoshop if you hadn't told me. It's like, great job, honestly. This looks really good, actually. Yeah. That, that's an excellent Photoshop. It's, I mean, pretty common color, red, not necessarily that difficult, but you would never know. You would absolutely never know. And the nice thing too about the 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 pet baby announcements is that as Lauren was explaining to me, cause on, on Instagram, that was the one that we did with, with, with our cat, Rudy, looking, looking at the picture <laughs> of the ultrasound as only he could. And uh, he just looks totally disinterested and pissed off, which is probably the mindset he will carry into the birth of this child. Oh, yes. um, he like you, you do those announcements and you kind of see the picture and you're like, Oh, it's just a picture of a pet. And they're like, Oh wait, it's so much more. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So that's there's upside. The animal that. is the draw. That's like the the the, the hook, and it's like ah, now there's yeah. a baby as well. Of all the things that you're scrolling through on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or something like that, and then you're like, oh, it's just another picture of their pet, and then you're like, wait, no, definitely not, definitely mm-hmm. not. But that's you got to have the lead to hook you in. Um, let's go with Chris Milan's got one here. Congrats, and you're gonna have so much fun while also having the most difficult challenge in your life. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he says, we waited till 20 weeks till we told family since it's a huge milestone. Um, says most of the usual stuff is fine. Tell your parents first with gifts, ideally, but just make it about the kid. You have to get him gifts. I didn't know that. Hmm. I thought the gift was a grandchild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is, we're taking notes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Got a, got a gift to get my mom. I, I was going to actually just hold out not getting her a Christmas gift because I was like, Hey, we got your grandchild. So not mm-hmm. enough. No, seriously. Um, we didn't do a photo shoot, but it was also peak early COVID. So we were just trying to stay safe. Might do it for a future kid and, uh, doesn't have one to share, but with a work client, um, Oh, does have one to share, but it's a work client and not even close to appropriate to share. Well, now we got to know that. So you're going to have to, this is a private Facebook group. You can post in there. Nobody's ever going to know. Might yeah, reach we someone some uh, talk about almost getting shot at a flag football game. So really it can't be worse than that. Um, Great point. And then, yeah, also I'll say, I think he's saying like, do the baller move and like give your mom like a pink like shirt or something. Be like, guess what? And then they go like, oh, so I think that's more of a flex than like a necessity. But I do think that is a power move. That's really cool. Give them a pink car or a blue car. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just get the rolls. Just get them a pick rolls. That's yeah. Ideally, we sh- we should have done that in yeah. hindsight. We'll learn <laughs> next kid. I guess we'll figure mm-hmm. that out. Michael Dark says, "Congrats with our three boys. We told our immediate families within days of finding out because we couldn't keep a secret. Put it out on social media after the first ultrasound. Never did a professional photo shoot, but we did our own photos for the moment when my wife 
felt it was the best time. After three boys, we're expecting our first daughter the day after the Georgia-Michigan National Championship. So calling his shot. I love that he's doing that. And congrats to you. That's a huge, huge life milestone to have four kids. I feel like going from three kids to four kids is we're pros. We got this. You know the people growing up that have four kids. That's that's like that's a deal. That's a group. That's a that's an mm-hmm. army. Those parents are rock stars to go through that. And he also says, word of advice: change as many diapers as you can. Your wife did all the hard work. It's the least you can do. I'm gonna be like Jim, where Jim is diapering footballs in the office. <laughs> <laughs> He's figuring that out. I might diaper a football or two as practice. I need to get on that. I'm going to get better. I still got some time. Like I said, end of mm-hmm. May to be able to figure these things out. But yes, I will absolutely make it my priority. It's probably not going to get the level of prep that we talk about for a pod, <laughs> but it'll be up there. The no Google doc. doc, the baby Google doc is going to be like a hundred pages. You're going to be walking in there. Where's the Wi-Fi? I have, I have something on this command F hold on. What are we doing? <laughs> I'm reading a book right now that this guy is, is, is wired the same way that I am when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. This guy has, I can't remember. I'm blanking on the name of the author, but it's it's a book for the expecting father, and it's everything, everything that goes into a child's development. This guy has covered in his book, and there is no stone left unturned. It's incredible, and it definitely stresses me out when I read about all these new things and I think about, oh my god, I'm not I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But it goes along like chronologically, so it makes you feel a little bit better. But still, I'm very, very stressed. Got out. one of those like SI timelines with like the little bubbles and the dates on there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something like that. And there's there's a lot of different parts where you're like, oh, you probably won't experience this random life event. But if you wanted to start thinking about 401k for your child, here's the best way to go about it. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to make sure this thing is able to get out of diapers and, and walk eventually. But okay, all right, lots That's- to learn. Yeah, we joked about that because I was talking about how, like, we I said, like, one of the last pods, like, you're Peyton and I'm Eli. And it's like, you're such a planner and I'm just kind of like, go with it. And that strengths and weaknesses for both of us works as a pod. But I, we talked about it whenever you were at my house and you were like, well, actually, it might be a negative asset that you plan everything to the point you do. And like, but I think, though, actually, like, to that point, it's like, you're doing the homework, you're doing the reading. There's no Jamarcus Russell fathering here. You know, you're reading the books, you're getting the pre work done. And that's the thing. Once you get the, the prep work done, that's all you can do. You've done your part. And then whatever everyone says, all, well, you know, heck, breaks loose then you've done all you can and you got to be ready with it or not not have to be but you're um you know it's one thing to do your best and not be prepared but if you do your best and you are prepared that's the only thing society can ask of you you know what a great way to phrase that the jamarcus father jamarcus russell approach to fatherhood a lot that, of people do that man i know my dad did <laughs> i don't know how you could I, I i i just i find myself and and maybe and again maybe this just speaks to to the way that i'm wired where i I'm not the person that that seeks it out in the, in the way that Lauren does. She is the person that has thought three levels ahead of something mm-hmm. and has planned it to the nth degree. But to just kind of show up and be like, all right, I think I'm going to be good. I think I'm going to figure it out. I'll be fine. And there's definitely an element to that. And that's the part that I'm going to have to master and that that I, I struggle with sometimes and pivoting even just over the course of a day is sometimes difficult for me because I know I'm like, all right, I've got X, Y, and Z that I need mm-hmm. to be able to get done. We've got, this is what we need to be able to do. And anything that kind of throws me off that sometimes is a little bit, you know, it can get me flustered a little bit, but you know, it's just about 
figuring things out. That's what we're here to talk about. Figure it yeah, out, man. This is the biggest figuring it out uh, test case, uh, lab practical so far. So excited about the results. I'm sure you'll do like, that's the thing. You are the most prepared person in my circle to have a kid. So I'm just like, this is great. I'd rather you than, you know, John or something. <laughs> Cause I'd be like, yeah, I don't know how he's going to do, man. Love John, but you know. Well, I will, I'll, I'll happily be the guinea pig. And uh, yeah, I will, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I keep you posted on all of my mistakes, which I, inevitably will make over the course of the next um uh, yeah forever forever rest of my life Connor, this is your time you know what time it is time to start a tiktok uh no look nothing against it lauren loves it this isn't the time it's not i if if that's if that's the the thing that i'm picking up at this phase in life i don't know i, I think that's got to be pretty low on the list of priorities right now mm-hmm Maybe. I could see a, I could see a fire Connor O'Gara uh, fathering TikTok that blows up and you get like rich off of it. And you're like in press conferences like, hold on, guys, I got to do a dance. Let me do the renegade real quick. Anyway, <laughs> no, I I tried the gritty one time in front of the mirror. That's the closest <laughs> I've gotten to a, getting a TikTok account. That's knowing yourself, though. Yeah. Stay within my limitations. That's what mm-hmm. we do. Let's end with some lad of the week. Got a familiar face. Uh mm-hmm. Maybe this won't be a familiar face because he's been to a lot of places. He's been to a whole lot of places. He's an acquaintance of many. <laughs> yes. If you don't know this guy, Lindsey Scott Jr., former LSU slash Mizzou slash East Mississippi State Community College slash Nichols State and current incarnate word quarterback, set the single season division one record for touchdowns in a season. 68 total touchdowns. Six mm-hmm. touchdown game over the weekend. FCS playoffs. They beat Sacramento State. A game that was just bonkers wild nobody could stop a thing this guy is so old that he played for less miles at lsu not just like the miles brennan oh he was recruited by less miles he has pictures with less miles he played for <laughs> less miles he's in the same recruiting class as devin white all right <laughs> that's one of those like you may be entitled to compensation if you've been victimized by the less miles often <laughs> might have been i mean look came out of it and and eventually found a home but you know, it's crazy to think about these guys who are in their mid-20s that are still playing college football. I'm here for, and that's what this COVID year has created. He's still younger than Stetson and Hendon, though. That's that's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. He'll turn 25 in June. How does he still have eligibility in year seven, you ask? I'm going to run through this real quick because Please. I think the people need to know. Somebody who starts off in the class of 2016, 2016 at LSU, he redshirted. 2017, East Mississippi State Community College uses that first year of eligibility. 2018, Mizzou, he's the scout team quarterback, but then he tears his meniscus. He gets a medical redshirt. 2019, Nickel State, he sat out due to the NCAA undergrad rules, which at the time you couldn't transfer and play immediately. 2020, Nickel State actually didn't play until the spring of 20. 2021 because that's what fcs teams were doing but then fall of 2021 so by the way that season didn't count against his eligibility fall of 2021 he plays at nickel state actually plays really well uses up that third year of eligibility and i think technically because when you used to sit a year after transferring that still used up a year of eligibility it wasn't like you Mm -hmm. just put that in the bank so he decides after the third year of eligibility that he's used, he's like, all right, I've got one more year. I'm going to be 24 years old. Where do we want to spend this? Let's go to Incarnate Word. Let's set a billion records. Year seven, let's do this thing. And that's what he did. And he was balling on Saturday. All right, Saturday, Friday? Is that Friday? Might have been Friday. Time Saturday. Just a construct at this moment. 
seriously <laughs> what is time i have no idea but he was great and good mm-hmm. for Lindsay scott who you know once upon a time we're like maybe he's gonna be the guy at lsu or maybe he's gonna have a future at mizzou and still doing it man still doing it he's, well, he's figuring it out at this red pool age uh speaking of older quarterbacks my uh, lad of the week is one Stetson Bennett. Just what an absolute lad. We love to see him at the Heisman stuff. Love to see him being represented. I think he's such a um, kind of a program ambassador for Georgia. A lot of Georgia fans, you know, felt like he deserved the Heisman, which is a whole different conversation. But I think he did a really good job showing up in this, you know, Letterman jacket, having Georgia football be a presence there. And the whole thing is that he kind of figures out, like, or he shows, like, it's not about the Heisman. We don't need to have our Joe Burrow here. We don't need to have our, you know, Devontae or whatever. He was just kind of present. And that's kind of, it's like, even though we aren't going to win this award, we're here. <laughs> expect that <laughs> nothing wrong with that and being you know first first georgia player at a heisman ceremony in the 21st century i mean just kind of crazy to think about of all the people that they've had walk through those doors and for him to be able to get that opportunity and, and soak it in cool to see love the new york experience wish that they had at least i wish that they had five guys going to new york every year that's one of my frustrations with with the system mm-hmm. and everything but you know for all those and something that we talked about in the first part of the pod all those who are kind of hating on stetson still i think you need to step back as a college football fan and realize like how cool it is to see where this guy came from what he was expected to be and what he ultimately turned into and even if you think he's overrated or whatever just to see a guy get that experience and realizing yeah this might be the peak so what it is for a lot of guys that's there's nothing wrong with that we don't have to criticize that there's nothing wrong if this is apex mountain for stetson bennett i still th- i agree with you 100 cool to be able to see him get that moment pick one life uh, just one word. Sorry, I know we're going a little bit long, but uh, totality of the package, right? Stetson Bennett or Baker Mayfield, if you're talking like former walk-on guy? Uh, gosh, it's a great question because obviously Stetson was Baker before Baker. Um, no, I, I <laughs> make the joke because in case you haven't ever watched a Georgia game, didn't realize that Stetson Bennett was the scout team quarterback for the Rose Bowl. Yep. Um, man, Baker, after the Thursday night that he had operating a certain Liam Cohen's offense, I mean... <laughs> No, um, in all seriousness, I think being able to win a national championship and do it at a place like Georgia is all time being Mm -hmm. in the Heisman fraternity, though, and getting to do that for the rest of your life and knowing that that's just no matter how bad things turn out, right? Like no matter how crazy your life has gotten, even Johnny Manziel, you're kind of watching the ceremony and kind of seeing him back there. Think about how crazy his life has been for the last decade. Mm -hmm. Imagine like how cool it is to be able to kind of take a, take a step out of whatever's going on in your life and realize that you're immortalized in this college football fraternity. That is, in my opinion, the coolest award in individual award in sports that is just on such a different level. Like to be able to just step into that, ah, that's really tough. It's really tough. I'll go Stetson. I'll go Stetson. It's, yeah, it's razor thin. I'm a little bit more. I'm a little bit more me first. So I probably rather be Baker, but they're a coin flip for sure. Yeah, Baker's lived a good life. They both yeah. lived great lives uh, in football. A football life, the NFL Network thing, the Baker one versus the Stetson one. I don't know if Baker's getting one of those made about him anytime soon. Not. yeah no fact it, and it's those are the two greatest that's why they're the two greatest like walk-on guys and they both obviously had a heisman presence so it's super cool to watch you know those stories are what we root for in college football absolutely absolutely um so plan for later in the week we're going to record a pot on thursday it'll come out on friday we'll have a bowl game to preview how about that oh yeah <laughs> crazy it's like the earliest sec bowl game in a very long time whatever is left of the florida roster will be playing in that las vegas bowl against oregon state so we'll talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit on uh friday maybe we'll go through some of these different staff hires which you know 
kind of hit on a little bit last week, but there's definitely been some more developments with that. And maybe that's some stuff that we can get into some portal things as well. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group here named Red On Air with Figuring Out or Boldy Crash. Thanks guys. Talk soon.